Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. I'm worried driving the car with Oakley and she I'm not going to give this any more credence. I'm not going to let the person win. I will not be a victim. We have nothing to put the patient onto, so they're safer on an ambulance trolley. What I did in the morning, TJ, is crack. It's like yarding. Join the conversation. Call 0818-969696. Extra WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Cox 96 I wonder, was it the scene in many houses this morning? You know, the way of a Monday morning, you'd normally be trying to drag the youngsters out of bed, get them downstairs, get some food into them, get a uniform on them, get him out to school. On the average Monday morning, mother or dad is sitting there pulling out the hair they got left. The children won't get out of bed, won't go to school, won't do nothing for you. <laughs> I'll bet you they were up with the light this morning, sitting down watching telly or looking for their breakfast at seven o'clock. Because why? Because the schools are closed and poor mammy or poor daddy thought that they might get a rest this morning. No such luck. No such luck. Easter holidays are underway now in the schools across the city and county. You'd notice it this morning actually with the distinct sort of easing of traffic in school areas around town, which uh, that's, that, that's, that's no loss. I'll tell you that. 0818 96 96 96. Morning, morning to you. I'm just on the back of the smallies being off, maybe the smaller ears divert them into the front room and put on a cartoon for them before our first topic of conversation this morning because something unusual happened in the court at the end of last week. It was the sentencing hearing for a man called Christopher O'Sullivan. He had pleaded guilty to the manslaughter of Timmy Howrahan. You remember poor old Timmy, uh, kicked and beaten to death in Cork a, a number of years ago. One individual has already seen jail time or is seeing jail time for it but Christopher O'Sullivan was jailed for life on Friday. Now what is unusual about Christopher O'Sullivan being jailed for life is it was manslaughter and while a life sentence exists for manslaughter. It's on the statute books. The maximum sentence for manslaughter is life. I personally, in many, many years of being in and out of the courts, and I would have, if I've covered one manslaughter case in my time, I covered 21. I never saw, I ever saw a life sentence imposed. Paul Bourne, Southern Correspondent of Virgin Media News and occasional presenter of this programme, joins me. Paul, I think it was a force for you as well uh, that we'd never seen life for manslaughter before. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Yeah, um, coming up to 25 years, I'll be uh, reporting from the courts uh, this September. And likewise, I have never seen anybody sentenced to life for manslaughter in Cork. Uh, Unless I'm mistaken, but I think it was the first time that I've certainly come across it in my um, time reporting from court cases. Um, Christopher O'Sullivan initially was charged with murder and... He pleaded guilty to manslaughter and the state accepted that plea. They said um, that they wouldn't run a murder trial. But his co-accused, James Brady, who was sentenced to 11 years last year 
um, was also charged with murder. He went on trial charged with the murder of Timmy Horahan, but the jury found him guilty of manslaughter yeah. after the trial. But last, um, la- la- last December, I think it was, that um, Christopher O'Sullivan um, said he'd enter a plea of guilty to manslaughter and the state accepted that plea. Remind us again, uh, bearing in mind there are small ears around this morning that normally wouldn't be there, remind us what happened to poor old Timmy. He was a lovely old diva. I knew him from being around the place. Yeah, Tim, um, look, unfortunately, um, fell on hard times. Tim was originally from the Chiefs Peninsula in West Cork. Um, a, a gentleman to the, to the, to the core, an absolute gent. And he had one enemy in life, and that was alcohol. And he battled very, very hard to try and fight that demon drink. I interviewed him in 2016 when he was uh, clean. Yeah. And he was delighted with himself. And he was just like, he looked at the picture of health. And he was desperately trying to get into a step-down centre so that he could continue his road to sobriety. Um, Unfortunately, he didn't get into a step-down centre. And three years later, uh, while he was sleeping rough in a tent uh, on the Mardike Walk here in Cork, he encountered James Brady and Christopher O'Sullivan. There was an argument, and to cut a long story short, Brady started to lash into... Timmy Horrigan. Uh Christopher O'Sullivan had to be held back. He eventually bro- broke free from the person who was holding him back and went in hard on poor old Timmy Horrigan. And Brady stopped what he was doing, but O'Sullivan continued stamping and kicking and effectively uh, Timmy Horrigan was beaten to death. Yeah, yeah, it was a particularly brutal attack on a, a, a defenceless individual. I have a little clip of that interview you did with him. Uh, was it 2016? It was so sad because, like you said, he did look the, the picture of health. Here's a little clip of that. I probably have to drink to keep myself surviving on the street, which is back to square one, and I've lost a whole year and year and a bit of my life again trying to recover. So it just it's a, it's, it seems to be a no-win situation there. And definitely, Paul, like you said, drink was his enemy because this was a man who'd cooked dinner for Elton John and Lionel Richie. Like, Yeah, he, he was a chef and he took himself to the UK years ago and he landed a job in some of the top hotels in London, including the Hilton Group. And he was well known and, um, you know, celebrities knew to me. And unfortunately, again, you know, he, he battled with alcohol over there. His marriage broke down. He headed back to Ireland. And unfortunately, things went so pierced that he ended up on the streets. And here we are talking about a man who, unfortunately, slipped through the cracks and the help just wasn't there. And he suffered what can only be described as a horrendous death. Um, you know, the judge on, in sentencing on Friday said this crime was nothing short of murder. And that was that is what he was initially charged with. But, I mean, you know, look, I know there are people listening, um, even for people who are strong-willed and, you know, hard as nails. The evidence in the court case on Friday was just absolutely horrific mm-hmm. and I'm not going to go into it look I can just you, all I'm saying is Timmy suffered a brutal death he was kicked and stamped on until he died uh, a short time later after the assault yeah. if anybody really wants to go into the, the information pick up any of the newspapers from last Friday or Saturday and you'll, yeah. you'll see the, the, the disturbing evidence yeah, and very disturbing it was so yeah. Christopher Sullivan gone down now for for 
life for life. the man's I mean, we, we, we were expecting Timmy O'Sullivan, or Christopher O'Sullivan, I think, to get, I was reckoning he would get between 12 and 15 years. Somebody mentioned possibly 18. And the judge was handing down the sentence. It took possibly a half an hour for the judge to go through what he was saying. And, you know, he did mention that it could, you know, the maximum sentence here was life. And he was talking about 20 years. And then he said, um, look, it, it really merits a life in prison. Which was a surprise. So he's gone off to serve time, and the other the other chap is also already in prison. Poor Timmy, no longer with us. Katrina Toomey down at Penny Dinners has also been paid tribute to to Timmy. She said he simply didn't deserve this. Nobody deserved it, but particularly Timmy. And like you said, a lovely a lovely soft old fella, always smiling, and a total a total gent who just fell on hard times. Paul, thank you for that. Total, a total a total gent, and you know what. Here we are talking about another statistic. A man died on the streets. There are women dying on the streets. And he is just another number, unfortunately, in what has become an, a, an appalling um, catalogue of people who have died on our streets. For, for a want of a place in a step-down centre in 2016, he might still he might still be with us. Thank you, Paul. Uh, 0818969696. Paul Bourne, Southern Correspondent with Virgin Media News and occasional presenter of this year's programme. In fact, he'll be with you at the back end of this week for a couple of days on the uh, the death of Timmy Horan, Christopher O'Sullivan, sentenced to life on Friday. 0818-96-96-96. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Cork's 96FM. The Cork's 96FM Giving for Living Radiothon returns May 25th to 27th to raise funds for Cork Cancer Services. You make me feel You can host a coffee break, fill a change collector box, or support your favourite sport on Jersey Day. And we're always open to fun new ways to fundraise, so get planning now. Get planning now. The Giving for Living Radiothon, supporting Cork Cancer Services, May 25th to 27th. You make you feel Only on Cork's 96FM. A bit later on, I'll be talking to someone else who has this fear of holes or clusters or bubbles or whatever you're having yourself. It's more common than we thought called tripo or tripophobia. We had another uh, caller last week uh, about it with a fear of holes and of, of, of what is it with strawberries? Strawberries. A lot of people are terrified of strawberries. What? Yes. Very afraid of strawberries because of the little clusters of seeds on the skin of the strawberry. It's the weirdest one. It certainly is a weird... Do you remember who was on with me last week? Was it Sarah was on? She said if she's going to have a cappuccino, she has to put put a lid on it because she can't see... Then she can't see the bubbles. And who did I mention it to? And who said that the worst thing you could possibly do is give them a barimintero because there's green bubbles in it. Be terrified. Imagine being terrified of chocolate. Come back to that one in a while. Also, we're looking for Cork's youngest nana and granda. Yeah, I uh, no, I'm nowhere near. Thankfully, nowhere near being a granda. I'm way too young to be a granda, and me queen bee is way too young to be a nana, or so we insist. But there are others out there who have become nanas and grandas very young. Do you know anyone who's a particularly young? Nana, and by by young I mean, well, what do I mean? 
Do I mean 40? Could you be a nana at... Of course you'd be a nana at 40. 41, 42? Can we beat that? That's all to come. 0818 96 96 96. Now, the situation with regard to driving tests at the moment is getting worse. And I'm told that you could be waiting nearly five months now for a driving test in Cork. And in the middle of all of that, I'm given to understand that they have closed one of the testing centres. So figure that out now, if you will, for Irish logic. (laughs) You have a queue out the door of people looking for a driving test. And in the middle of all of it, you close one of the centres. Now, to me, that makes no sense. I don't know if it makes any sense. That's very, is it actually true? Um, Jean Russell uh, from Douglas School of Motoring. Jean, is that true? It's Finbar's centre, the testing centre. Is that closed now in the middle of all this? Morning. Good morning, Peter. Yeah, everything you said is correct. The St. Finbar's centre is closed. Uh, there was two full-time testers down there that are now moved to Wilton. Yeah. Uh, yes, it, is, it does affect the waiting list. Uh, yes, there is a five and six month waiting list at the moment. And uh, I would say, I just passed a test centre 10 minutes ago. There's two testers in Wilton at the moment. Yeah. Operation. That has a capacity for, I've seen up to eight or nine in there previously. And so if it's not working at full capacity, there's going to be a shortfall. You're saying, just for clarity, Wilton is capable of having eight testers operating at the same time? Yeah, I've been there today, two testers in there, most of last week, between four and six. They are capable of having more than that. No, I know with COVID rules, I don't know their inside rules exactly. Yes. But it would be possible. But having said that, whatever their inner house rules are, when this happened before, when they were introducing your EDT lessons, which was 12 compulsory lessons, and people, there was a massive backlog, and they were introducing new regulations. And uh, what they did, they opened up an extra two test centres. They yeah. opened up one in Blackrock and one in Little Island. And within a couple of months, they put full on, full on in Wilton, full on in the other two test centres, and the list night came down to about 12 weeks 8 to 12 weeks which is about right 6 to 12 weeks is more than enough 6 to 12 weeks you need time you get your date then you practice yeah. hold being be held up for 6 months your people can't start jobs they, they can't yeah. yes and as you know most jobs now are looking for full for full, full license yeah. I get that all the time and for people living in the countries and out the road and you know what I mean that have to go travel to go to shops and schools and works it's essential you would think, would you not, that the R- the RSA or the testers or anything would know we need to to cut this list? Um, I have no idea what the way they think or do, but they certainly would know the numbers and the queues and the lists. You know, they don't take phone calls anymore. It's all done online, which is fair enough. But still, if you apply now for your test, you have to have your 12 lessons completed, which takes time. Yeah. And no, even if you're looking for a theory test, you're going to have to wait for a few weeks. You're going to have to wait a few weeks to get your actual permit. And then you're going to have to wait six months for your test. So it could take you up to a year. From, and that's with very little practice. Just come back to me on something you said there. You have to have your 12 lessons done before you can apply. Correct. There was a time you could apply during your training 
but no online if you apply you go to myroadsafety.ie if you go to rsa.ie you can see myroadsafety.ie Right. And you can put in your details and you can book a test. But right. if you're midway through your training and getting reports back that people are saying your 12 lessons are not completed, you don't qualify for a test. Crikey. That, that, that's, that's delaying people even longer. And we took calls only a week or two ago here from people who are having appointments cancelled and citing the theory test and all of that. that that's yes, backing things I've up. I've been listening. Yes, yeah. correct. Now, on the subject of the NCT... Gene, we read that FORSA, the trade union, has told the testers do not take a person out in a test unless there's a va- or on a test unless there's a valid NCT on the car. But given that yes. there's such a backlog at the NCT, it's going to make the, the delays on tests even longer, isn't it? Correct. Up to last Monday, the RSA and the testers were accepting a car with a three months uh, expiry date on an NCT once you had proof it was being booked. Yes. Okay? And then Monday morning at 11.09, I got an email from the RSA saying any test may not be accepted without a valid NCT cert. No, if I met someone Friday, Saturday, Sunday, they were doing their test Monday, I would have said, you're fine once you have your proof. They turn up for their test on Monday, 9 or 10 o'clock, they're told, sorry about that, no test. I couldn't tell them because I didn't know. Yeah. All the ADIs would have been similar. So that's how the RSA work, I'm afraid. That's adding to the backlog, uh, like? Correct, correct. So, like, the, everything is backlogged. Your yeah. theory test, your actual license. And then getting an NCT and booking a test and trying to get dates with tester, with, with instructors just to get prepared. There's yeah. only so many. We're very busy. The, the the car is the tester's place of work. They're entitled to be guaranteed Correct. that it's safe, but there must be some way to verify that a car is roadworthy and, and not have to wait yeah. months for an NCT. Surely there should be so because unless until that's completely sorted that they have the NCTs uh, running really smartly and smoothly and without delay, then it should be that there should be some intermediate thing as the other instructor was saying maybe go to the garage or get some sort of certificate which is hard to make a law saying you can't do that and then having to deal with you know with very short notice how am i supposed to do it yeah glenn i'm thinking making it easy then i'm thinking of people who coming into the springtime and i know this because that was the time my own daughter wanted to learn to drive coming into the springtime the 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 bright evenings the early mornings, that's when people want to get out, they want to get learning. What are the prospects Correct. of a young person starting out now being tested and on the road properly by the end of the year? Any chance? Well, <laughs> yeah. it depends on how, how far you're through your 12 lessons. But like normally we recommend about one lesson every two weeks. Yes. That will depend really on the person themselves and very much on the amount of practice that's done in between. Yeah. That really pays off, definitely. Even if it, I, there's no there's no bad practice. Any practice is good outside the house, traversing around the corner, yeah. are just simple things. But like they need access. I know it's so hard to get at people with cars, insurance. They're finding it very hard to get out, get practice. You're talking nearly to like as you said, six months waiting. Once you finish your twelve lessons, the twelve lessons can take six months. Yeah. That's practically a year, and that's assuming you have your license in hand. 
Yeah. If you're only going to start that, you get an extra two or three months. It's a long, hard road to use an unfortunate turn of phrase. Glenn, thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard enough to learn to drive without the, without the circumstances. Thanks, thanks, Jane. No problem. You're welcome. You're welcome. Thank you. <laughs> and my apologies, by the way, for calling you, Glenn. Um, which I think, uh, which I did more than, I don't know why, but I did. Uh, 0818969696. So six months. So if you want to start learning to drive now, coming into the spring, if you have a youngster asking it to give you some, driven, some driving lessons and some tips and take him over to the local car park, teach him how to drive around the car, it'll probably be the summer of 2024 before they can actually get to sit a test and go out and drive on their own. So a couple of long, hard months ahead, which makes it very hard for young people trying to take up a job, finishing college, finishing school. and try, Like, imagine finishing school now, this summer after the Leaving Cert, and they want to take up a bit of work for the summer. Fine, as long as the work is on a bus route, they can't drive. Uh, because if they have a learner's permit, which is fine, they can't drive unaccompanied. And that is being enforced and has been enforced over the last few years. So you need to drive with them to their work, which what ones of us can do that? And we don't all live, all live on, on wonderful bus routes for them to take buses. So it's a bit, I can remember learning to drive myself and it was a lot much more casual thing when I learned to drive. My dad, God rest him, had driven a squad car as, as a young guard and he took me out country roads late at night and just said stay between the ditches kind of thing initially and then just we worked on the various skills but before I went to take a driving test I got lessons, proper lessons Um, but it was a much less convoluted and difficult affair than it is now and I hate to be anyone trying to get into the Get into driving. 0818969696. A quick mention in passing for my dear friend Gareth O'Callaghan, who posted at the weekend that he is recovering following a very nasty accident in which his wife and uh, her daughter were involved also on Horgan's Key a couple of weeks ago. Gareth got out of it with a broken back and a punctured lung and really nasty injuries. Paul is still on crutches. Emma was hurt as well. But uh, Gareth has been moved from CUH now to the South Infirmary where he's having daily treatment, intensive treatment and physio and all of that to get him going again. Uh, He's doing a little bit of walking now, just a few yards every day, but it's small steps, literally small steps to get him back on his feet. But just thinking about the poor bugger, he can't catch a break like. He's got this illness that he's had for years. We know all about that. Then he had an accident at Christmas with a really nasty fall at home. And then he comes back in here, starts to sit in for me for a couple of days. And, and, and then he has, he's due in here again at the end of, uh, at the end of April. Then he has another accident. The poor old devil. He can't catch a break. He just can't catch a break. Um, so our thoughts are with Gareth and Paula and all of the family and Finn, the little doggy, who's probably missing his daddy something terrible at home. And yes, Gareth will be back with you on the opinion line at some point uh, later in the year. But we do indeed wish him well for now. 0818 96 96 96. Just got my NCT. Had been last November to get the date. Looking since last November. Just looked at the cert. I have to get the car retested this November. I'd been waiting since last November. Oh yeah, that's one of the little catches of the NCT. So if your NCT is due in November, as this was, or let's imagine your NCT is due this month, so April. So your NCT is due April, and you can only get an appointment for argument's sake 
in June or July, if you're lucky. So let's say you're due today, you get an appointment in April, you pass your test, your new NCT will run out next April because the NCT must be done on the specific date every year. So some people are out there now with NCTs that will only last four or five months because of the nature of how it's done. 
absolutely like we're we're a tourist destination. I myself have an Airbnb. I'm facing the sea. Um, it, my story was that the house was completely um, run down after my in-laws died. So we invested a lot of money in to do it up. And I decided I'd have a go at this. So I'm six years in operation now. I have people coming back year in, year out, all year round. The huge spend that it, that means to the village of Cormac Cormac Sherry, meaning you know the restaurants, the cafes, the whale watching, the water sports, mm. everything. It's a huge, huge, important um, cog in the wheel of um, the tourist industry. Mm. We have very, very few places that you can stay in Cormac Sherry. I have um, my house and then there is the hotel, of course, which is limited, limited rooms and booked out all year round. Yeah. I, as I mean, not necessarily all year round, but, you know, for for all the high season. Absolutely things, busy, Easter, busy, busy, busy. You know, yeah. And, yeah, and an yeah. Airbnb, my, my, my daughter uses them a lot whenever she travels with her friends, yes. uses them a lot. They're very, very handy. There seems to be a kind of a clamp down now on Airbnb. Yes. And how is it affecting you, say, Dolores? Now, I'll tell you, it was a huge uh, shock in the last couple of years. You see, we got changed. Our boundary lines got changed um, from Cork County Council. We were always classified as West Cork and we were affiliated with Clonakilty and West Along. Now, because of the boundary changes, we are now affiliated with Kinsale and um, Cork City. And um, that means we're in a rent pressure zone. Yes. Now, a rent pressure zone is a place where there is huge, as you know, demand for houses. Sure. And we all know there are those places and there are needed to be looked at. But I mean, I'm out at the down the end of a little drive and I'm out at the end of a little um, big, big long lane facing the sea. It is a home that will never, ever be uh, put into long term rental. And Dolores, sorry to cut across you. I'm trying to get no. to the number of it here. Is there somebody trying yeah. to stop you? using yeah. your place uh, yeah. as an Airbnb. Yeah. Now, I have to say, if you if I spoke to you last week before I went to Leinster House, I would have said yes. Now I'm saying, because last Wednesday, we went to Leinster House, uh, where we addressed people in the AV room, um, the powers that be, and we got a very positive feedback. Uh, up to last Tuesday... They were the whole. The whole nub of the thing is, they want you to. They wanted like they just kind of railroaded this thing down the line. And the beginning of April, which is now, we were supposed to register with Board Forty. Registration is a fantastic thing because I think everything should be regulated. But is then once you're once you're registered within six months of that date of registration, you then have to go for planning permission. Planning permission, as you know entails an awful lot of stuff as well as money. But, but Sorry, is, planning permission you know, for what? You know, I'm, I'm sure it's that it's your a, little yeah, house was built perfectly yeah. within the planning laws. Yeah, well, firstly, it isn't a little house, it's a big house. Right. It's an old farmhouse and it's a big house. And secondly, it's there for over 120 years. Now, you know, if you go to plan, the planners come down, they look at the, wall, the, the road into the place, they look at the house itself, they look at the septic tank. Now, lots of people have applied for um, planning and they've been refused. But the thing about it, last Tuesday big push on and in submissions the closing date was Tuesday at 12 o'clock in Oh, that in line is starting Europe, to fall down to on Europe. us. Yeah. yeah. 
there was a, can you hear me now? I can, yes, I can. Yeah. There was a huge submission being sent into Europe and it stopped um, having the registration put forward because the bill, which is now in the Oireachtas, is not fit for purpose in the respect that I'm being treated the same as the centre of Dublin. Urban and rural are the same. That was never the case. So this has been stopped up at a European level, a directive in Europe. So now we have been given uh, till the 22nd of December to lobby, lobby, lobby all our politicians, our councillors and everybody that this is going to affect. Going back to Court McSherry, we have about three more places you can stay in Court McSherry. We're down every summer about 50, 50 beds. For people, um, I know because of the Airbnb, two places Airbnb problems now, two houses that would have been taken, 10 people, six and four, they've already taken them off the market because they're summer houses. They will not let them into long term rental because they want to use them for their families certain types times of the year. And they were boosting up their income then to pay for maybe renovations or whatever on the months that there was nobody in it. And this is what I'm, you know? I'm getting at, Dolores, that there is a there's pressure on people who have Airbnb properties in yeah. places like Court Mac to regulate, yeah. but the regulation is so difficult yeah. that they can't do it, so they're having to stop. The, the powers that be would prefer they stop doing Airbnb. Yes. Well, I'll tell you now, they're, they're trying, they're not, not, the regulation needs to go ahead. That's not a problem. But when you do a, a registration, prior, you have to collect data to find out what exactly is needed in an area. Am I valuable to the homeless pe- homeless people? Am I valuable to um, you know, the, the poor people that came in from Ukraine? I'm not because of my location, but I've been I'm being kind of um, ruled the same as if I'm in the centre of Dublin. And again, I'm sorry now for picking this sort of hard very carefully because people don't necessarily get it. So is it that Airbnb operators around the country in places like Court Mac, and I'm sure there are others, are coming under pressure to give up their Airbnb facility to house others? Yes, they will. They will act. They will actually give up. Give it up. Two houses already in the village, near the village, ha- in and near the village, have stopped because they won't go down the line of looking for um, until there's more clarity. All we're actually asking for is yes, get them registered. Maybe start in December or January, as the case may be. Yes, get them registered, but collect data and let the council councils people come out or whoever and see that we are a vital, vital cog in the tourist market for the economy of our village. That's basically it. Because I, my, my, my story is that I will never let it be a long-term rental. It's right next door to me, uh, down the long lane. I don't want, my daughter and my son are both away. That's another story. They had to go abroad. One is in Sydney. And she says, Mom, when will you stop doing the Airbnb so I can come home to live there? Yes. So it will never, ever, ever be any good to anybody else except us as a family. And we must say now, I'm no spring chicken. <laughs> and um, we've invested a lot in it, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A derelict house, you know, now that now sleeps 14 people. I see. I see. You know, and what, and I mean, what it sounds to yeah. me like, because I was chatting to someone at the weekend who has a property like this. Now, they're okay. They're not under any pressure. But but that it's it almost seems to be that you now own a property and you can no longer do with it as you yourself please 
with your own property. Absolutely. And that doesn't seem like right to me in 2023. No. No, it does not. And especially like I'm getting the pension now this year. My husband is over 70. This is our little nest egg. This is what gets me up in the morning. This is what makes me give the big Cade meal of fortune to all the people that come here. Now, the actual hotel industry, like you're talking also about booking.com, Expedia, or any platform that will advertise a place to rent will have to be registered. No problem. That should be the case. Yes. But you have to have clarity then, and there has to be places that are exempt and places that yes. aren't. And, and, and what moment, you're saying is, yeah. as a property owner, Dolores, yes. and I know we have a crisis, and I know we need housing, and I know we, we need places we to put, and all of this is true. But what you're saying to me is, as a property owner, you feel a bit ganged up upon by the system to be told who you'll rent to, when you'll rent the, to them, and 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 that the government will block you if you try if if you don't from doing what you want to do, run your little house as you want to run yes. it, or your farmhouse as you yes. want to run. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. It really and truly it beggars belief that like I was in the doll now last Wednesday. There was a dip, there was a deputation went up from Court Mac as, and loads of other places around, and people placarded outside. And I know at the moment it's a very difficult time to be talking about any kind of rentals or let, lettings or you know um, evictions, or, and it's a really difficult time. But like there can't have a sledgehammer effect. One size fits all. I went into the AV room. And it was chaired by um, uh, um, Richard O'Donoghue, and he's a Limerick Independent TD. Mm-hmm. And like he was so, so good, and he was so, so in favour of just stalling what was happening. Only for the submissions to Europe, we'd have had to be looking for planning permission before the year was out. So you're going I- to be able to use your farmhouse the same way as always this summer now? Yes. Okay. Uh, everything is stopped because of a European directive. That'll tell you how bad the whole bill in the Oireachtas was that when the European law saw it and European people saw it, they said, no, this can't go ahead. There's no clarity. There's no debate. There's, there's, there's just there's terrible inadequacies within the area, you know, within the different areas. So what happened you know, was in order know, to regulate Airbnb, like here in the city, you yeah. would have quite an amount of stuff out on Airbnb yes. and you could see why yes. that's better yes. off being used for long-term rent. So they were looking 100%. at your place and a place in the city as the same. Very same. I no see. different. No different whatsoever. And that just does not add up. No, it doesn't, you doesn't, know, there's, doesn't there's, hold water at all. Doesn't hold no, water. there's a huge, like there's a huge, um, uh, no point in having supply at the airport. There's a huge supply for people coming in at the airport. But they need, then they need not come in if they can't get accommodation. I see. I have you. Do you have. know, if, if if they come into airport en masse and they want, a lot of them when they come into airport, they don't want to stay in Cork City. They want to come yeah. west. Well, well, and, you know, we are, part, we are part of the Wild Atlantic Way. So you're talking about putting a sign up Bandon is in rent pressure zone. It's a town. There's services there. I don't have any of those services. If anybody was staying next door long term, they would have to walk for four miles to get a pint of milk. That's not feasible. Yeah. You yeah. Know? That's true. There you go. Well, there you go. Silly. There you go. Dolores, hopefully now Court Mac will have a whopper of a season and we get yes. a little bit of weather Please and there'll be loads of people heading Please down to their yeah. mobile homes and staying in your farmhouse and just having a, a lovely summer in one of the most beautiful parts of West Cork. That's Dolores Hegarty. So, the clamp down Airbnb to, yeah, 
<laughs> this is what the problem was. Thank you, Dolores. 0818-969696. Airbnb have welcomed the EU proposals, says this message. The Irish government and local authorities have created their own version of the rules that are not what existed, what was originally set up. And I think that's a very good read on it. The, the, the idea across the EU of limiting the stuff that can go into Airbnb, that's fine. But not down in a country place, not down in a seaside resort or a seaside place where you rent out a farmhouse uh, for tourists. You can't just stop them running their little business. Thank you. 0818969696. Now, we were talking last week or the week before about strange fears. And the one that's out there, that you wouldn't think there's so much of it out there, is holes, clusters. Right? Weird ones. Mary has a thing called trypophobia or trypophobia that's her her ailment and Mary you sent us pictures in fact of the kind of things that 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 um that give you the willies of a day as it, as it were good morning good morning PJ yeah now just to say some of the pictures um demonstrating trypophobia that I sent are not real but they're just to show you what they are for example um some of the photos you'll see online would have a hand with loads and loads and loads of tiny holes in it. Um, and whereas I don't think that could happen, somebody in real life seeing it just horrified me. So I was really interested to hear that other callers have trypophobia because it is basically a fear of, I call it a fear of clusters or swarms. Yeah. Like, I know things like um, honeycomb come up when you look it up on the internet. Honeycomb doesn't necessarily bother me. But if I think, if my eye takes in like a whole kind of cluster of small little round things like holes or seeds or something like that, it just triggers this horrible response. I can't explain it. It's so strange. Two things that came up. One was, I think it was Sarah was on about she can't drink a cappuccino without a cap on it because the bubbles get to her. Or the seeds on a strawberry. Yeah, I, I do get both of those. Definitely the bubble thing. The bubble thing can really, really freak me out, especially if there's loads of tiny little bubbles. Um, I don't know, does it come from like a fear of, of swarms of insects or is it a fear of, of disease or something? I don't know what it is. Mm. And it's kind of, I don't even know if it would fall into a, a phobia more that it really unsettles me. Like if I handed you a cappuccino with lots <laughs> lots of foam on the top of it, what kind of feeling do you have? Is it fear? Is it? It's a feeling of being unsettled and just a little bit freaked out, nearly like you could break out in shivers. And then it goes away again. Like if I Google image trypophobia, when I initially, and I don't know why I do it to myself, but when <laughs> I initially see those images, I'm just briefly horrified. Hmm. Fences with loads of little crosses, meshes in them. You know those? No, no, they wouldn't necessarily bother me. Or somebody asked me, would I be bothered by a crunchy bar? And unfortunately, I'm not. I really love crunchy bars. Stuff like that, no. But like a cluster of, of little bumps or something on my arm, that would really freak me out. Yeah, the grill at the top of the phone, like the holes at the top of the phone handset. Not too much. Not yeah. too much. I think, I think it's things that more resemble a living thing, something that might be able to move. I see. You know, um, somebody was talking about like loads of little tiny seeds on your hand. If you woke up or saw those on your hand and you weren't expecting to see it, I think maybe it's reminiscent of tiny moving insects. Yeah. Someone texted in a punnet of raspberries with all the little tiny ball-shaped pieces of the raspberries. <laughs> yeah. I kind of get that. It's not the raspberries themselves. It's all the little tiny, tiny components of Do you find yourself <laughs> avoiding things in, in daily life? Um, I would really hate if I saw 
a swarm of anything like, you know, and I know this is possibly quite a generic horror, so maybe it's a bad example, but if, you know, the very odd time on a, a warm day, the old maggots can, can appear, <coughs> bins and things, sorry now for anyone having their breakfast or eating, anything like that would really, really repulse me. But again, that might be quite a general revulsion. Mm. Um, it, it's not the kind of thing you can really go around avoiding because it's generally very unexpected. Like caterpillars on a bush or something, loads of yeah, little squiggly caterpillars. <laughs> exactly. It, it's when your eye takes in loads of things, it just triggers something. All right. Mary, good talking <laughs> to you. Thanks. Thanks a million, PJ. Thank you, Mary. <laughs> it's the weird thing. Someone said to me, was it last week on the program? Aero, aero chocolate. Aero mint chocolate. Um, can't, can't eat it because the green bubbles. <laughs> I'll have it then. I have no problem with bubbles and I love mint, Aero. Andrew has an interesting theory with regard to how difficult it is to get a driving test or a theory test or any of those things at the moment. A very interesting theory. You might even call it a conspiracy theory, but I'll give it to you for what it's worth after the news. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Live. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Cork's 96 FM. The minds are live. Join the conversation. Call 0818 96 96 96. Extra WhatsApp 0833 396 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the opinion line with PJ Coogan. Cork's 96FM. Just getting back to the number of long-term rents available. I'm a local in Court Mac. I can't find a place to buy, let alone rent. I have no choice but to live with my parents. Why can't that woman let out her house long-term? Because you get a lot more money by letting it out short-term. That's the truth. Well, according to Dolores, it doesn't sound like it's a place you could live if you want to find a place to live on your own. It's a large farmhouse that she has. Uh, that that seems to be the problem. So it wouldn't be suitable. It's suitable to holiday lets, uh, is what she was saying. But I do take your point. A lot of Airbnbs, and that's why they're doing it in the cities and the big towns. And they've done it in a lot of the cities and big towns across Europe, where you can't do Airbnb in a place that might be useful uh, for long-term rent to, to house a family or, or house a tenant or something like that. But 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 Dolores was her feeling was her place and other places like it were being caught up in this. Irish version of of a European of a European change, so to speak. Thank you. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six on driving tests and all of that stuff. Speaking with Jean in the past hour about the waiting time now to get yourself a driving test, to try and get yourself a theory test, to take your twelve lessons that you must take. And all of that. And it's taken a year to a year and a half now for people to get on the road properly if they want to do it all and do it above board. And of course, you can't now drive with just a learner's permit. When I was learning to drive, you could. Not on your first, but on your second learner's permit. You could drive unaccompanied. Many people did drive unaccompanied on their first one. I'm not saying I did. But the first one was kind of... You'd get that and then you'd go out on the road with whoever was teaching you to drive and at the end of that you'd get your second learner's permit 
and you could drive away yourself and get some experience. That's gone by the board now. You can't drive alone on a learner's permit. <laughs> there are those who argue never could, but look, it's a it's a thing. Andrew says, on the subject of driving and on test centres, I feel there's more at play here. If you think about it. Currently, if you look around the city, everywhere you look, a footpath is being extended. Roads are being narrowed and road routes are being changed and they make no sense at all. All of this will culminate in making it hell on earth for the misfortunate motorist. In my mind, it's all part of a plan or a bigger scheme from the powers that be to force people into taking public transport. I think the very same plan is at play with the test centres in that they just don't want any more people on the road. Well, certainly if you go down around the corner to us here, into McCurtain Street, into the Victorian Quarter, uh, where they're completing that work at the moment. And I was down there on was it, yeah, Saturday afternoon, I was walking along McCurtain Street, which I hadn't done in a while. And it's going to be lovely. The, that pavement, that wide pavement with the trees and the planter, it's going to be great. But the little piddly road for traffic is going to cause problems long term. And everywhere you go now, and Andrew's right, everywhere you go now, you see a, a, a footpath wide enough to play a match on. And a little piddly road then that people are supposed to go up and down at, at peak times of the day and night. And a pal of mine recently who does a lot of driving in, in the course of his job and might have to pay or might have to attend rather five or six meetings in a day, all of which have to be driven to. There is, he said there is a war. They have, someone has decided to declare war on the motorist. And it's gone to a level in the UK now where it's just bizarre. They've got this thing in, in London now called the ULES, the Ultra Low Emission Zone, where uh, the Mayor of London, what's this his name is again, Sadiq Khan, he wants to charge you £12.50 a day to drive into London. Right? £12. Just, just, and I know, I know they're looking at it here. You've Got to, will you, someone in Leicester House, oh, look at that, look at that, we can make a load of money off motorists there now, and we could, of course, we could sell it as the green agenda, we could make a big green thing out of it, but we could charge him a fortune to come to town. Andrew maintains it started, and it's only going to get worse. I'd appreciate your thoughts at 0818969696. On staying with environment, I mentioned that before the news there's an ad in one of the papers again this morning for uh, this plastic grass, artificial grass. My my missus hates it and she's the gardener in the family so it'll never enter uh, Coogan Towers. That having been said, I don't mind it. I don't mind it. I'd be quite happy to put it down on a, on a, on a pathway or, you know, get rid of the weeds and all that small patch. No, I see no problem with a small patch of plastic, gla- plastic grass. People putting it on their on their patio and all that. I don't see a small, any problem with it at all. But there's a big article then was in the paper yesterday. Um, their outdoors editor in the Examiner wrote a big long piece interviewing many, many people. Chelsea Flower Show, for example, has banned artificial grass. It did show up at Bloom last year. But the, the, the impression you get from the biodiversity people is that putting down a couple of square yards of plastic grass makes you the spawn of the devil or something like that. 0818 96 96. Oh, and plastic flowers. You're supposed to have plastic flowers either now. Plastic shrubs. 
I have. The missus came home. I was so delighted. The missus came home a week or two ago from, I don't know where she was, the Aldi or the Range or someplace like that. And she came home with three artificial sunflowers about three foot high. And I love sunflowers. But what I can't ever get is I get the one in the pot and you water it and you care for it. I can never get it to grow into a nice big sunflower with a big smile on it. So the artificial ones... They keep me happy. Apparently, we are now the spawn of the devil as well for daring to have a few artificial shrubs in the garden. It's all gone a bit mad, lads. It really is all gone a bit crazy. It really is. 0818 96 96 96. Two far more serious matters on this Monday morning. And, Niamh, you, you tell me that Coon Lee, where you went for refuge, is full. And because it's full... You are now effectively on the streets. Good morning. Morning. So I went to Coombe over being assaulted at home. They discharged me from Coombe the other day and told me to go over to the APS. Why did they discharge you? Because they said that it's only for um, temporary, that it was only temporary accommodation. Six weeks to three months they told me they could keep me. But two girls came in and they kids with them. So they needed my room. I see. So what happened to you then? Then I was just discharged, told to leave, go over to the APS. I went over to the APS. They said they can't do nothing for me. Why can't they do anything for you? That's what they said. They can't do nothing for you. We can't do nothing for you. Unless you want to go into the night late. In the same you go in there at 11 o'clock at night, sleep on mattresses on the floor, and you have to leave at, at 7 in the morning. Yeah, yeah. I can't do that because I'm just recovering from septicemia. I see. So what did you do then? Then, what's it called? Coonley booked me into Sheila's hostel for two nights. I went up there, was just getting my clothes out of, out of my mum's car. I put my phone on the step with my other bags. I looked, my phone was gone. So I didn't even go in there. I wouldn't go in there. Yeah. Where, where are you staying right now? I'm just staying, I stayed in a friend's house last night, the night before. I stayed in, in a bus shelter. Um, another thing I forgot to say to you is I was also on bail because the night that that happened, that I was assaulted up in the house, I rang the guard. This was the night, this was the night your family member assaulted you, yeah? Yeah. They arrested me and there was bail conditions put on me. Arrest you? Why, why did they arrest you yeah. if you were being attacked? I asked them to. They, they arrested you for your own protection, did they? Yeah, yeah, for my own protection, yeah. So I was brought into court the next morning and given bail to Kung Lee. Now I'm after breaking that bail by then putting me out. I'm sick of it. I can't live on the streets anymore. I can't do it the way other people can do it. And then I'm sick as well. I had said to see me once, whoever wants. It's very likely to get it again. I suffer with my lungs. I've cut my lung. I know. And I can't stay out on, on the, in the streets. I mean, I'm nebulizers, everything. I can't go back to okay. hospital. I'm going to die like. Okay, Niamh, don't, don't try not to get too upset. Where are you, who are you staying with now? Who are you with at the moment? I'm just with my partner here in his friend's house. Okay. And is that a place you could stay? No, because this is only um, a place that the, the same in got him. He's not even meant to have visitors. He just left me in with the rain to take this call. Where did your partner live? Could you stay with your partner? No, the house is overcrowded. Okay. And is there any prospect of you getting back into Coonley? 
No. Why not? Because they're, they're too full. They said there's a big waiting list and I, I had my time in there. Okay. And, and where are you going to go tonight? I don't know. I really don't know. You said there's no way you're going to go to the nightlight. No, I couldn't go in there. Do you any idea what you're going to do? No? No, I have no idea at all. I don't know where else to go or who else to talk to. I just don't know what to do. I'm not used to being sleeping on the streets and all this carry on at all. And you say that if you stay or if you're caught staying in the friend's house that you're taking this call from, that he could lose his house? Yeah, he'd lose it. How come? How come that would happen? Because he's not allowed to have any visitors right like that because he got this place through the same end. Anyone who got a place through the same end or um, Sophia Housing or anything like that, they're not allowed to have people stay with them. Okay, I didn't know that. They're allowed to have visitors, but only visitors, that's all. They're not allowed to have people stay. So you've no idea what you're going to do. You can't go to Sheila's? No, my phone was robbed the minute I put it on the steps up there. Where you are now, you can't stay. Nightlight, for no. very personal reasons, you can't go there. Yeah. You'd, feel, you'd feel afraid inside in Sheila's. Yeah. And they just promised me either house or a hotel and asked me which one I prefer. I said a B&B, anything. I said a shoebox, I don't care. Somewhere I can just put my head. And now it's out in the rain. You sound like you're scared. Yeah. I don't know if anybody has... Any, have you tried going into Penny Dinners to see could Katrina and the team help you? No, I don't even know where that is. I was never in this situation before. Katrina knows more about this than anybody else I know. I think you should take yourself into Penny Dinners and, and ask for help. They, they don't turn anybody down. They don't turn anybody away. Yeah. Yeah, that might be a start. Katrina's wonderful. She's brilliant. She'll know what can be done and she'll know who you should talk to. I'm so close to the skin now, right now, and, and my clothes are in somebody else's house up in the Glen. She said she'd made my clothes for me. You, and you couldn't stay there, no? No. It's an awful difficult situation. Neve, I hope something works out for you. I think you do need to get yourself into the penny dinners and to try, at least get the hot meal into you and try to talk to Katrina and see what what she could do for you. Will you do that? Yeah. It's, it's, you know what? I'm after walking through town and I'm after seeing someone in nearly every single doorway last night. I know, girl. It's awful. But they're taking in other people and housing them and it's, it's just not fair, like... I know it's not. Neve, I can only wish you luck. Thank you very much. You're more than welcome. I will say this, Katrina is not just someone we know. Katrina is our friend here. Okay. If you can go over to Penny Dinners, they won't put you wrong. They'll give you advice and they'll feed you. Okay. Will you try to find them? They're over in Little Hanover Street. Ask anybody in town where the Penny Dinners are. They'll nearly bring you over there. Okay, thanks very much. You're more than welcome. You're more than welcome. Take care now. Goodbye, bye-bye. Yeah. Cheers, Neve. Your heart would break for her, wouldn't you? Wouldn't it just? But I hope that she can find her way over to Katrina because one thing Katrina won't do is she won't bullshit you and she won't put you wrong.
Uh, if you need a bite to eat, you to put a hot meal in your belly. And if you need to talk to someone or see someone or maybe get a start on getting a place to stay, she knows more than anybody else. She really does. 0818 96 96 96. Ooh, I've kicked a puppy with regard to fake grass. I, the missus doesn't like it, so it'll never happen at, at, at Coogan Towers. I personally don't mind it. Like, we've a, a deck out the back, and the deck was put down maybe in, what, 20... 16, 2015, 2016 and it's lovely and we spend hours and hours and hours in it but the timbers are starting to look a bit old now which means they've got to be cleaned down and stained up again and all that and I did think about maybe buying some of this artificial grass to put down on top of it just to make you know, like well I thought she'd knife me when I made a suggestion. So it ain't happening. Plastic grass? No! No, no, no! Unless you are a fake person and love the Instagram. Where I see people using fake grass and fake hedging, my thoughts are that they are fake people and don't start me on door wreaths. <laughs> What's wrong with door wreaths? You mean the Christmas door wreath? Or the Easter ones that'll be up next week? What's wrong with them? <laughs> don't start me on the door wreaths. Sweetest. Monday morning. John says, you should see the huge, pointless curb opposite the entrance to Aldi in Ballyfair. I know it well, John. I know it well. You could you, you could nearly tout it as an alternative venue for life at the marquee. It's flipping huge. It's black, says John, with rubber from cars hitting off it. See? 0818-96-96-96. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Cork's 96 FM. Simon Murdoch and the best music mix. Weekdays from midday on Cork's 96 FM. Flying you through the afternoon in Cork with loads of new tunes, plenty of throwbacks and brilliant giveaways too, straight after the opinion line here on Cork's 96 FM. If you're going off on holidays this summer and you're flying with Aer Lingus and you hear that the first officer is Laura Russell, I hope that she doesn't start to do loops and banks and turns in your 737 on the, on the way to your holidays. You won't, you won't, of course, Laura, will you? I promise. I promise I won't. I promise. <laughs> you're perfectly safe. That's the, that's the day job. You're not, you're not tempted to go looping around Alicante and doing a few figure of eights and stuff like that. No, <laughs> definitely not. <laughs> definitely not. That's the day job. But you, you're heading off to the Las Vegas World Advanced Aerobatic Championships. Now, let's start with getting into being a pilot first and then moving on to that. So, from what age did you want to be a pilot? Um, it was when I was 18, actually. I just finished the Leaving Cert. Mm-hmm. And, um, my grandmother, uh, she actually bought me my first flying lesson up at Cork Airport. Oh, cool. And, uh, oh, I just loved it. Up at the Atlantic School, <laughs> there, yeah? Did- uh, yeah, actually, at the time, uh, they were called Atlantic Air, but they're now Atlantic Flight Training Academy. So, yeah, yeah I did my private licence with them. That's where our that's where our wing in the plane does is flying from in the morning. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So you learned up there. Very good. I did indeed. I got my uh, private licence um, in 2006 with them. Yeah. Were you, were you bitten? Bitten by the bug? Oh, besotted. <laughs> from 
from flight number one, I absolutely adored it. Absolutely so loved it. What's That's the, all I wanted to do. What's the process? And we've lots of young men and young women listening to us at the moment now who are coming up to yeah. leaving cert or maybe in transition year and going in towards leaving cert. If one wants to be an airline pilot, how, how hard or how easy is it to become one? So, um, like in Ireland, we're so lucky with Aer Lingus. They run a future pilot programme. So if you can get a place on that, it's like winning the lottery. So I would highly recommend anyone with any bit of an interest in, in flying at all to, to to stick in an application there. You can go onto the careers website on Aer Lingus to do that. Right. And do and, they um, have to be like you it, did? Do they have to have gotten a private licence first, no? No, not wow. at all. Actually, it favours someone with zero time. Uh, now, of course, um, there's a lot to be said for, you know, making your application stick out. So take a few uh, introductory flights and so on. Just show that you're interested and that you like it and that will help you along. But the, the scheme is designed to take you from zero hours straight into um, uh, the right seat of an Airbus. So, it's, yeah, it's an absolutely incredible opportunity. Fantastic. And how long did it take you to go from that very first flight lesson that your nana bought for you to having your, your stripes and sitting in the first officer's seat? How long did it take? <laughs> it was, uh, in in an impolite way, I'm asking you what age you are, I suppose. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, uh, I, I am 37 and I'm not okay. precious about my age. Okay. So um, it, it took me quite a long time, but, uh, you know, it was the scenic route because I, I timed it quite poorly. When I got my private licence, I was um, third year in physics in UCC and I timed it wonderfully badly with the Celtic Tiger just about to go bust. So I ended up our building for about 10 years, just building up the experience and building up the savings so I could complete my commercial license. And um, by the time that was done, by the time I had a bit of money to put myself through that commercial license, um, Aer Lingus had opened up their their future pilot program again. So every year I would <laughs> put in the application and I think it took me maybe three or four goals, but eventually I, I won a place on that. Brilliant. And uh, away I went. Yeah, I first flew passengers in 2017. Oh, oh really? So not, yeah. not very long ago then, five or six years ago? No, actually very recently. Yeah, really? yeah. So... When did you first want to know what more a plane can do, shall we say? <laughs> yes, the dark side of flying, yes. <laughs> um, so I very soon after uh, starting learning to fly normally, I, I took like a, an aerobatic joyride right. and um, it was one of these half an hour kind of introductory flights. You know, th- th- this is what an airplane can do. <laughs> right. And again, uh, what, you know, however much I was besotted with, you know, just learning to fly normally, this was on a whole other level. And um, I remember coming away from it thinking, yeah, the, I, I can do this. I can do this really well. And it's all I want to do. <laughs> but obviously I was very mature and I realized that it's uh, quite a, a hard area of aviation to pursue so I knew I had a bit of a, a journey ahead of me There was a touch of the Top Gun Mavericks about you from day one then Maybe, maybe yeah. <laughs> So how did you learn that then? Um, yeah, so th- there's not very much of it in Ireland um, Initially what I used to do was fly with um, a wonderful guy um, Eddie Goggins, he's based up in Dublin He had a two-seat aircraft and I used to go to him as as often as I could to to just learn the the fundamentals. Um, because what I'm doing, I guess most people have been to an air show, to Bray Air Show, yeah. or to Burr Air Show, yeah. and and seen kind of air show flying. Well, this is the sporting version of, of that same sort of stuff. So it's all about precision and accuracy and and keeping your performance within certain limits. Um, 
And, and that style of flying is only done by a few people in the country. So initially I went to Eddie. Uh, this was probably 10, 15 years ago now. And um, I soon discovered that all the, the competition aspect of it was um, very popular in the UK. So yeah. I started going over to England and um, over the last kind of 12 years, I've been competing there and training there. Mm-hmm. It's a bit like, did you describe it as a bit like what ice skaters do, but up there? Exactly, yeah. In, in, in the same way that ice skaters have a very um, uh, well-defined, predetermined routine and, and set of kind of manoeuvres to do, we, we do the same in the air in a one kilometre cubed box of airspace. Mm. Is it not dangerous? No, actually, it's such a common misconception that it's a wild thing. <laughs> but I think if you speak to any aerobatic pilot, I think we're all obsessed with safety. Mm. And um, I often make the comparison, uh, I suppose, to, you know, I go into my day job every day in Aer Lingus uh, to fly passengers from A to B. And I have the the wonderful luxury of having like a flight planning department loadmasters for loading up the baggage and the cargo and the aircraft and so on. A whole like raft of people um, to, to send our flight off safely. But, but when you're doing this aerobatic flying, it's just you and, and it's your airplane and you are wholly responsible for everything. <laughs> so uh, we're all a little bit obsessed with safety, yeah, I that, think. That's some buzz, I'd say, isn't it? Oh, it's... I, I, I think the English language fails me when I try really? to describe the feeling it gives me. Yeah, oh. it's it's yeah, it's it's amazing. And where does the heavy metal music come in? Oh, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I did mention that. So I um, <laughs> because okay, so it, it is it is um, you know quite a, a high level sport, uh, and along with that comes the sort of mental Adrenaline. preparation. Mm. Uh, yeah, the sports psychology is a very, very, very um, critical factor in the whole thing. Um, and, and many different pilots have different ways of focusing mm-hmm. and relaxing. And um, I personally use music. I, and I've always done it when I think back. I When I did my Leaving Cert, I, I was studying, listening to music all the time. And it helped me focus. And um, I realized when I fly and listen to music through my, through my headset, mm. um, it just helps me channel and uh, you know my brain all that more on on the flight that I'm doing and, and my maneuvers and so on it's uh, yeah it's a funny thing uh, it, might, it might work for everyone but it certainly works for me <laughs> the original high flying rock chick so so how did Maybe, yeah. <laughs> how did Las Vegas come about oh yeah so uh, I like there are five different competition levels uh, with the aerobatics and um, the the second from the top is called advanced and that's what I'm working towards at the moment. And every second year, there's a World Advanced Championships. And I haven't taken part in a, in a World Championships yet. Mm. And um, just the last couple of years with COVID and everything, I, I kind of had a realisation, you know what, it, it's time to go do this properly because it's what I've always wanted to do. So I said, do you know what, we're going to go for the championships in Vegas this year. Might as well. And... Um, they, uh, they're going to hold it in, well, it's not quite Las Vegas, it's kind of down the road from it. Yeah. Um, but it's going to be on the end of October uh, till the uh, first week of November. And um, at this stage, um, we're just in the kind of the planning phases and so on. So I'm deep into the training for it. Right, right. And what do you do? Do you fly yeah, it like yeah. an exhibition flight you do then? What's the story? Yeah, so the, the format is uh, I'll be renting an American aircraft over there, so I have I have to get my American license um, sorted. 
uh, uh, the the competition itself, then you you will fly um, a sequence which you design yourself on kind of day one. Okay. And um, the following days then will um, consist of sequences that are unknown to you. So the the contest directors will create unknown sequences which you have to learn on the ground. Um, and then you go up and you fly them for the oh, first wow. time, which is um, that's that's where the competition is is won and lost because it's all at that stage about the mental preparation, you know. Wow, listen, that's yeah. it's it's brilliant. It's it's, it's just so yeah. unusual. Will, will we be able to see this on the telly? Do you think? Yeah, thank goodness they're after starting to um, stream these competitions. Uh, for a long time, they didn't, um, uh, but now they have. Uh, last year, the US Nationals was streamed completely on YouTube, and it was great fun because they had a chat box going at the side and everything, and you could kind of, you know, uh, wish your competitors well or, or slag them whatever you please, you know, as, as they flew. Yeah. See YouTube. She's from Cork, like. <laughs> I hope I hope I get a barrage of that yeah <laughs> Laura best of love and on a more mundane note like where where, where do you fly day to day where, where oh in in the day job when I'm not upside down yeah, yeah. Um, I am I am so lucky to be based in Cork with Aer Lingus um, so I do a mixture of European stuff so London Heathrow Faro Lanzarote and uh, I get to do transatlantic flights out of Shannon as well, which is fantastic. So I'm actually, I have um, a couple of Londons this week and then I'm off to uh, New York, JFK on uh, Friday. Well, safe, safe travels, Laura, and the best of luck when it comes around. And what we'll do before you head out to, to Vegas, we, we might even talk again and figure out, can we watch you on the telly? Because that'd, that'd be so cool. Thank you very much. Laura Russell from Passage, uh, first officer with Aer Lingus and heading off in November. Uh, the first Irish woman ever to do it, heading off to the World Advanced Aerobatic Championships taking place in Vegas. 0818 96 96 96. That's kind of got to be the person with the coolest job of the whole week. So far anyway. Does it? Sure does. I, yeah, I also have tryptophobia or trypophobia and even that woman just talking about holes is making me sick. Really? My brother used to send me, ah, he was cruel now. My brother used to send me Google images to freak me out. It actually made me cry and made me get sick sometimes. Well, that was cruel of your brother. Funny, but cruel. Don't mind the big curb outside Aldi, says D. The lanes are so narrow outside the mace. It's rid- oh, the mace in Turnerscraw are in there at the bottom of your hand. Yeah, the mace. The lanes are so narrow outside mace. It's ridiculous. You should see the buses trying to manoeuvre on driving and drivers. And another one that comes up. Michael asks a question. No matter how often people are warned, you'll always get some idiot who jumps out of the car, runs into the shop, lets the keys in the ignition. If the car is stolen, will the insurance pay out? Says Michael. A very good question, Michael. Of course, so many cars now are sort of keyless. You keep the key in your pocket and as you walk away from the car, it starts beeping furiously if you can't find the key. But there is a very good question. If you, why you would do it in the, for the sake of the four seconds it takes to start the car again, why you would run into a shop um, without taking the keys out of the ignition and locking the car door. Why? But Michael asks a very relevant question. If it is a thing that your car is then robbed while you're sitting or while you're inside buying the, the paper and a bottle of milk uh, and someone drives off in your car, 
are you covered by insurance? I would think not. Because you can't be insured for being an idiot. Like You really can't. Um, on artificial grass. On artificial grass. I remember one of the first live match of the day broadcasts, says Andrew. Luton were unveiling their artificial surface. I could be wrong, but I think it was John Motson, the late great Motty, who interviewed some of the characters, uh, the players, uh, after the game. And he asked one of them, which do you prefer? Grass or AstroTurf? <laughs> Don't know, says your man. I've never smoked AstroTurf. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Cork's 96 FM. Pair of Apple AirPods with Quartz 96 FM. Just take our 10 minute music survey and you're in the draw. Tell us the tunes you'd listen to on repeat and what songs we should delete. Win your very own Apple AirPods. Give it a go right now. Find the link on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Or c96fm.ie Little sporting shout out. My favourite sports event of the entire year. Uh, kicks off today. It'll be on, starts officially on television on Saturday week, the, the 15th, when they move into the Crucible. But the World Snooker Championship starts today with qualifying. And there's rounds and rounds and rounds of qualifying before we get to the Crucible in, in two weeks' time. Uh, yes, it is my favourite sporting event of, of the whole year. My missus already realises don't annoy him for the two weeks because he's just watching snooker. But Cork's own Aaron Hill steps up today uh, in the first of the qualifying rounds. He plays at half past two against a man who I'm struggling with this, so please forgive me. Nuan Takamjan would be this man's name. Uh, Aaron Hill's opponent uh, this afternoon. Nuan Takamjan. It's best of 19 frames. It's a big long arse match, but if Aaron gets through it, then he goes to the second I think third round of qualifying. He's currently number 98 in the world. Uh, so Wish him a good, a good tournament. A grand lad just turned twenty-one recently, and an up-and-coming rising star. So his first match today is in the qualifiers at the World Championship. We wish him luck. Oh eight one eight ninety-six ninety-six ninety-six. Now the youngest granny or granddad in Cork. We're trying to find them because um, you'd be surprised how young they are. Margaret, what what age were you a granny? Good morning. Good morning, PJ. I was a granny at 80. 80? 18. Oh, 18. I'm sorry. <laughs> you, were, you were a granny? You were a yes. granny? Hold on. You were a granny? I was... Sorry. I was a granny... My apologies. Um, I was a granny at 36. I see. Yes, my Took apologies. the life and soul yeah. out of me there for yeah. a second. Yeah. You, <laughs> yeah. you were a granny at 36. Wow. That's right. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, December 15th. Wow. Uh, 95. She was born. Beautiful girl. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she'll be 28 this Christmas, please God. Crikey. Crikey. Yeah. That's. Mm-hmm. And, and who, who who was the. Who were the parents? The, the parents was my late son. Oh, I see. I'm sorry. When did yeah. he When yeah. did he pass away? He'd be gone 14 years now on May the 9th. Oh, my. He was a very young man. He was 31. Oh, my goodness me. What happened to him, Margaret? Unfortunately, suicide. Ah, sorry to hear that. Yeah. So sorry yeah. to hear that. 
But a granny at a granny at thirty six, and and your granddaughter will be twenty eight. Please God, the fifteenth of December two twenty three. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah. You you married yourself at seventeen, was it? I was married at seventeen. I gave birth to my first son in uh, seventy six December, and my son, who's deceased, is the, um, the dad of the granddaughter yeah. in seventy seven December baby again. <laughs> yeah. And um, yeah, I was um, a mum at eighteen. Yeah. Right. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. I think mums are having babies much, much later now. Do, do they you, are. Do, do you they, know anyone like you who was a no, granny as young as No, very 36? few, very, very few, very few. I was mad. <laughs> <laughs> a small bit mad, but a good mad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, like clearly you were, you were married young. You were, you were very much in love, and yeah, yeah, yeah. things changed dramatically over the years. Then. From comparison, the parents having children late now. Yeah. But I don't regret one bit of it. <laughs> no, no, indeed not. No, 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 no. You're young still, and you can enjoy your grandchildren. A lot There's more. the thing. There's the thing. I mean, you're, yeah. do you mind asking me what? Me asking you what age you are now? I'm thirty. Oh, sorry. I'm go. I'll be sixty-five at Christmas. You're a young I, woman. Yeah. You're a yeah. young woman. I am young and fit and cycling. <laughs> Good for you. Good for you. Yeah, and I have eight grandchildren. Eight. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Ranging from 28 down to three months. Ah, really? Yeah. Three months, yeah. yeah. Come here, did your, did your husband pass away as well? Yes, unfortunately, January the 4th, 95, he passed away. And that little girl's um, grandfather, she was born the end of that year. So we had a, uh, a deceased in January and we had a bit of joy that Christmas Indeed. as best we could. Lots of, yeah. Lots of December people in your in your family. Yes, my own and my two sons. Yeah, the, the old pork cut was there that year. So we had the same <laughs> yeah, there was there was no Sky Sports back then either. No, 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 no. We had to keep ourselves warm. <laughs> <laughs> Needs most, don't you know? Needs most. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Listen, good, good luck to you, Margaret. Yeah. Okay. Definitely the youngest nana we've found ever, so far anyway, in this trawl of our, of our listeners. Margaret Butler was a granny at 36 uh, to a granddaughter who will be 28 this coming Christmas. Can we beat that? We have a, a, a nana, a 36-year-old nana. Now can we find our youngest granda? Our youngest granda. Can we... Fi- can we, can we can we find the youngest, 36? 36 was a very young nana. I can't imagine we get too many much younger than that. Anybody around that? 36, 37, 38, uh, a nana. And a young granddad. How young is Cork's youngest granddad? Can we try to find them? 083, 396, 96, 96. Just for fun, because it's Monday, because it's the Easter holidays, because the kids are off school... Just for fun, just for the bit of fun. Um, now, we talked a lot <clears throat> last week about the eviction ban and the week before about the eviction ban and it happened Saturday. The eviction ban officially lifted on Saturday and I have no doubt that people are being served, well, we know people are being served with eviction orders all over the place. We also know that some people have decided to overhold and not leave. We got legal advice from William Harvey about that 
just recommending that you don't really because you could end up with a very difficult uh, legal bill at the end of it all. Um, but Morris, you got in touch with us to say, can we please stop demonising landlords and making landlords out to be bad people? Good morning, Morris. Absolutely. I, I do believe that it's not the landlord's fault that people are being made homeless. You know, a lot of landlords just want their properties back so they might want to move back in themselves or their family member might want to move back in. And I can't believe that there was a political figure said to dig your feet in and don't move. Hmm. Paul Murphy said it last week in the Dáil. Absolutely. He said, he said, to go to Paul Murphy's house and ask has he got a spare room and taken a family. Now, does he not... I accept that a landlord's property is their property, but you can't put someone out into the street if there's nowhere for them to go, can you? But they're not they're not putting them out in the street, they're giving them ample, ample notice. But and if they're not giving them ample notice, then there's a legal issue. Yeah, but even with ample notice, people don't seem to be able to find anything. But what happens what what happens to the landlord then? Does he say Okay, I'll I'll give you another twelve months or until you find a place. Can't do that. As long as they keep paying their rent, why not? That's okay, but if the landlord wants the property back, that's all I'm saying. If he wants it back, mm. then he should be allowed to take it back. Yeah, you're talking about personal property rights, of course, Mars. Absolutely. Don't say that the landlord is is a bad man for evicting people because he wants his house back. Are you a landlord yourself? I'm not a landlord, but I have friends who are. And, and, and they're in a funny predicament now at the moment, especially when political figures and the clergy and everybody else dig in your heels, don't move, mm. get legal advice, you'll be grand. We had William Harvey, the solicitor on the phone, was saying That's to, right. to people, look, if you overhold, it'll take quite some time for a landlord to force you out through the courts, but you will run up a big legal bill in the process. Yeah. But if well, someone... Totally did, wrong. But if someone... Advice. Well, 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 he was advising people, to be fair, not to overhold. But yeah. the, the realities yeah. are, if you do, this is what's facing you. You will get a few months reprieve because the landlord has to go down a legal route to get you out. But you're running up a bill in the, in, in, in the process. But again, I'd have to come back to the people that are on to us every day, Morris, saying, where am I to go? Absolutely. And to get that answer, they should be lobbying, uh, lobbying Michal Martin, Coveney, McGrath, all their local politicians. Yeah, yeah. Other people who I'm sure you'd agree with their stature, great people like Katrina Toomey, like the people at Simon Community, like Father Peter yes. McVerry, people who know housing better than you or I will ever know it, Absolutely. have all said to the government, look, can you not just leave this in place, this ban in place for a while, while you provide for people? Would that not have been something logical to do? It, 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 it was a vote in government to pass this or not to pass it. How many ministers, senators, TDs are landlords? There's that too. And I guarantee you it was a political decision. And it's sad that they can't Fermoy down in Fermoy, Kilworth Camp, huge, huge space 
that it could house people down there, you know. You you blame the government for this, for not, not, oh, 100%. not building enough supply? Absolutely, 100%. Don't blame the landlord. That's his fault. He's only looking for his property back. And if he can't get it back, well, the system is spanjack. Morris, good call. Thank you. Thanks, PJ. Thanks for listening to me. Delighted, Morris. You know, Morris is not a landlord. Knows people who are landlords. And there's a lot to be said. And just kind of talking to people over the weekend and whatever. Just, you know, conversation among friends. We have to also take in the property rights of a person. And it comes down to the fact that if I own a property, not not 30 properties, if I own a property or two properties, and I'm paying for them, and I'm up to date with my taxes on them, and I'm doing everything above, I own them. I'm surely entitled to do with them as I please. Am I not? That's, that's, now Kevin says also that the Airbnb argument is a bit of whataboutery. They're springing up everywhere. The properties haven't vanished. They've just been changed into Airbnbs. That's a valid point, Kev. But again, again, you have to make the point. If I'm a property owner and I'm paying all my dues and I'm completely up to date with everything, then am I not entitled to use that property as I see fit? Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie Cork's 96 FM The lines are live. Join the conversation. Call 0818 96 96 96. Extra WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Cox 96 FM. It does look like we're in for some better weather this week and into the Easter weekend. I sincerely hope so because my grass out the back Lads, 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 if I don't get a lawnmower to it soon, I'll be able to bale it and sell it for silage. Tis huge. It's like it's six inches high at this flipping stage. I just want rid of it. I want to cut it. And I can't because it's wet. How's ever? 0818969696. In the search for Cork's youngest grandparents, we had a 36 year old nana, Paul. Morning, PJ. How what, are you? What, what age did you become a granddad? I was 38. 38? My wife was 32. Crikey. Now, it was, my wife wasn't my daughter's mother, but uh, she was a stepmother and step-grandmother at 32. Right. And you became still a granddad? Still a nana. Still a nana. Ah, yeah. Absolutely. You became a granddad at 38. 38. They are now. I was 19, I was 19 when my young one was born. All right. I think I think definitely we we thirty six and thirty eight. We're not going to do much better than that. But if you can, thank you, Paul. Quick call. I know you're in traffic on the link, and that was on speaker. So thank you, Paul. Just be careful out there. Traffic bad on the link. I'm told people sailed in this morning because the schools were off, but bad traffic on the link. Thirty six was our youngest nana, and we have our youngest granda at thirty eight. So can we beat that at all? 0818 96 96 96 0833 96 96 96 My, my mum was a granny at 31 Wow A granny at 31 And my dad was a grandfather at 33 Crikey 
listening here about Cork's youngest nana and granddad. My cousin is here with me. She was told when she was 31 she was going to be a nana at 32. 32. Good Lord. I'll bet you if you're 32 or 33 or 34, the thoughts of a small bundle of joy calling you nana. I'm too young to be a nana. <laughs> anyway, to different matters. Um, we had an enormous response on Friday to Michael Sheridan. Normally, Michael, and he comes on maybe a couple of times a year, normally Michael would spend 20 minutes with us. But on Friday, the entire hour went out the window, uh, the last hour of the show, as we talked almost continuously to Michael for the hour about dreams and dream analysis and what my dreams mean. But there was other stuff came up about the quality or lack of quality of people's sleep. And a few people mentioned bad dreams and nightmares and a thing called sleep paralysis. We had a couple of queries about sleepwalking and something that I never heard of before, never heard of, clean sleep. So dreams and sleep are, well, they happen at the same time. They're totally different things. So we thought we'd reach out to an expert on sleep, and that's Dr. Neil Stanley, who joins me now. Neil, good morning. Good morning. It's something we all have to do for a certain period of time every 24 hours, so it's kind of universal. So let us start with clean sleep. What on earth is clean sleep? (laughs) I wish I knew. Uh, I've been a sleep expert for 41 years, and this is a... uh, an idea that's cropped up uh, recently on sort of social media. I think it's uh, sort of based around uh, you know Gwyneth Paltrow's idea uh, about sort of holistic living, um, but it has no meaning at all. It just means getting a good night's sleep, essentially. Yeah. Um, I don't know why they've given it that name. Yeah, they talk about... 10 hours before bed, no more caffeine. Three hours, no more food or alcohol. Two hours, no more work. One hour, no more screens. And they call that clean sleep. That, to me, just sounds like common sense. Well, ab- absolutely. It's what we all do. I mean, the, the thing about uh, the caffeine, the, the, we're all different with regards to caffeine. Some people should probably not drink too much caffeine uh, from after lunchtime. But you know people who can have two double espressos after a nice meal and sleep perfectly well. Mm-hmm. So there's no real rules and regulations about sleep. It's doing, listening to your body and doing what's right for you. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm someone who drinks Far too much coffee, Neil. But I would always try not to drink any after five o'clock because it could affect me later on. Um, so, it, yeah, it could affect you, but it might not. I mean, you just need to find the time that works for you. Yeah, there you go. Now, let's talk about the problems that come in sleep paralysis. A lot of people said they experienced it. What is that? Well, when <clears throat> excuse me, when you're in your REM sleep, your rapid eye movement sleep, is which is when we have our long story-like dreams. When we're dreaming, our dreams are actually real. They're as real to your mind and body as sitting here now is real. Um, and so sometimes you've woken up and you, you're, you're sweating, your heart's racing, uh, you feel fear or anxiety. Uh, and this is because you actually feel as though you've done what you've done in the dream. So in order to keep yourself and your bed partner safe, when you dream you lose smooth muscle tone. So basically you are unable to act out your dream. Um, And essentially you are paralyzed. Um, Now, 
when sometimes you wake up from the dream, you become conscious before your body gets the message that it should uh, start doing things. And so sleep paralysis is the feeling uh, that you get after dreaming where you cannot move. You can't move your limbs. And often people describe uh, a pressure on the chest. So you find it hard to breathe. Now, if you're an adult and you can rationalize this is just sleep paralysis, then it loses all fear. But if you've had a scary dream mm. and something bad's happened to you and you wake up and you think, I can't move and I can't breathe, that just magnifies the uh, you know content of the dream and makes it seem very much more real to you and therefore can feel scary uh, or concerning. So if in the course of a dream you you're frightened whatever's happening in the dream, you were frightened. You can actually wake up with symptoms of being afraid. Absolutely. And, and we've all had the experience. Um, uh, but as I say, it's usually temporary, only lasts a few seconds. Mm. But we, you know, you, you have that experience. I mean, I, I've had the experience recently where I've been in a situation where I've climbed some stairs um, and, and screamed uh, for uh, my brother because I think something bad happened and I can't sort of make the noise to scream. And, and I've woken up there and have been pretty, uh, you know, uh, shaken by that because it seemed like it was real and as I say couple that with feeling like you you can't move and you can't breathe and that then becomes a you know the, the, you know the, 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 the borderline between sort of wake and dream and reality and unreality becomes very much blurred at that time. I've never experienced sleep paralysis but I imagine it could be quite frightening the first couple of times it happens to you. It can be, and and we can all experience it. Um, some maybe once in a lifetime. Other unfortunate people experience three or four episodes of it a night. Um, as I say, it is a perfectly natural glitch in the system. It's not. It's not a, a, a sort of a medical problem unless it happens so often that it really is disturbing your sleep, or whether there is a, a real connection between that paralysis. Mm-hmm. And a bad dream that is is uh, you know sort of post traumatic stress disorder. Um, for for most of us, it's just a case of waking up and going, you know, that's a funny thing that's happened. Don't worry about it. Okay. So your what it is is that your deep dreaming sleep ends a couple of seconds where your body realizes it has done. Yes, absolutely. I see. I see. Sleepwalking, Neil. Thankfully, I've never done it. At least I don't think I have. But a lot of people seem to do that. Yeah, sleepwalking, uh, people often think that this is related to dreaming, but it's not. Sleepwalking occurs in our deep sleep, our N3 sleep, and there is no story to what uh, a sleepwalker is enacting. So sleepwalkers do dull things. They do things that if they did it at 12 o'clock you know, noon, fully clothed, nobody would care. Uh, but doing it at midnight naked uh, suddenly uh, makes people aware that they're doing something funny. Um, so sleepwalkers do, um, say, boring things like going to the fridge to get a pint of milk or, or walking out to post a letter. Some people even have been known to drive whilst they're sleepwalking, but there is nothing driving that. There's no story. Yeah, I mean, there's a, there was a case of an American 
who was uh, known to have driven 27 miles in his car uh, uh, because he basically was found at the side of the road uh, with a car that had run out of petrol in his pyjamas and he had no knowledge of that. Because, of course, driving is a very overlearned behaviour. And if you're in America, in rural America, where it's a dead straight road with no traffic lights and you drive in the middle of the night, you're you're not going to, you, you know, have an accident probably if you're driving, you know. Now, if you're driving around the centre of Cork, um, you know, <laughs> that that might be a bit more sure. clever if you could do that. Um, sure. But as I say, it, um, so so we do strange things when we're when we're sleepwalking. But as I say, mm. it is not driven by dreams. There is a strange thing called REM behavior disorder, which uh, is actually the opposite of what we talked about with sleep paralysis, which is where the paralysis in your dream doesn't happen, and therefore you can act out your dream. And this is where people do bad things uh, during their sleep. This is There's been a number of murders and a number of sexual assaults and rapes that people have done because they are you know, following a dream and they can actually act out that dream. Right. But a sleepwalker isn't. They're doing something that is you know, routine and instinctive. Now, there's a the thing with regard to sleepwalking. You see someone walking across the landing towards the bathroom or towards say, the utility room or whatever they're going into to do something that they like is simple and mundane. But the fact is, if they turn around and go the wrong way, they will fall down the stairs. Are they likely to turn around the wrong way and fall down the stairs? Absolutely. If they're in a place that they're not aware of, so people who are chronic sleepwalkers will not stay away from home. Um, So this is the occasion where you hear about people peeing in the wardrobe. Um, so they've got up in in you know in their in their mind they've got up in their house and they've gone to the bathroom, but because they're staying over in the hotel, they've gone to where the they think the bathroom is, uh, had a pee, um, totally unaware that they're in the wrong place. So. And this, unfortunately, is often you'll hear uh, the story uh, of a teenager in, 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 you know, in, in one of the Mediterranean holiday resorts who's walked out uh, of a hotel room over the balcony and injured or killed themselves. Again, that is because you're doing something instinctual. You just are completely unaware of where you actually are. So if you're in a different place, you could literally fall down the stairs. And so if you have a sleepwalker, then the key thing is to make the environment safe so they cannot have accidents. I see. Because I would, you know, one would fear, now that thankfully there are no sleepwalkers in, in my house, but you'd always fear, would you not, the top of the stairs. But Absolutely. if you're in a place, you're in a, sorry to cut a question, if you're in a place that you know, so if you're in your own home, you mentioned being away somewhere strange, if you're in your own home, does instinct kick in? Do you instinctively know where the top of the stairs is? Yes, if you think about it, you you know, if you were in your own home and you sort of lay on your bed and you closed your eyes, you could navigate to the kitchen uh, without too much problem if you see what i mean it, 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 it you know you may bump into something but you you probably could get there um and, and so a sleepwalker has that awareness in a place where they're familiar um and, and they say they can quite happily uh and, and you, you said in 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 uh, in your introduction that you haven't slept walked 
and but the key thing you said after that was you don't know. Yes. Uh, unless somebody observes you do it, you could be doing it every night. Yeah. <laughs> and, and because nobody's seen you do it, they you know that you won't know because you could easily go to the kitchen, drink half a pint of milk, come back to bed, and as I say, if nobody witnessed it, I mean, with children, you're aware. Uh, you know, as parents, you become aware of what your child is doing, but your bed partner doesn't sort of time you each time you get up to go to the bathroom. They don't sit there going, oh, he's been gone more than a minute and a half. I wonder whether he's gone off to post a letter or not. <laughs> there's there's a thing. The old, I, I'm sure it was uh, more than an old wife's tale, or was it never wake a sleepwalker? It could be dangerous. Is that true? <sighs> Well, I mean, there the, was the version never wake a sleepwalker because you'll kill them. Uh, that's definitely not true. The reason why it's not safe is be- because, uh, again, of situation. Um, you know, if you see a sleepwalker walking across the road and there's traffic coming, uh, sh- waking that sleepwalker up, because they're in their deepest sleep, they may be very confused and actually may stop walking uh, and put themselves in a in a da- more dangerous position. I mean, people who wake up from deep sleep can suffer something called a confusion arousal. You may have experienced this when you wake up and you think, who am I, where am I, you know, yes. what day of the week is, and you haven't drunk alcohol. Uh, well, this is what a sleepwalker will do. So if a sleepwalker's halfway up a flight of stairs and you wake them up, that the they may put themselves in a, in a dangerous position because of that. Famously, a few years ago in London, a, an 18-year-old girl climbed up a 135-foot crane uh, and uh, the, the, the police officer realised that if he woke her up, she might freak out. So he had the intelligence to ring her mum, who rang her mobile, and that sort of woke her up in a more sort of appropriate way so she was safe. So it, if, you, if you see a sleepwalker uh, and they're not doing anything dangerous, then just point them back towards bed. But if they are going to injure themselves or injure somebody else, for God's sakes, wake them up. They may be a bit um, cheesed off that you've woken them up, but, you know, it, it's, it's better to do that. Yeah. With regard to the sleep paralysis again, someone on the phone here wants to know, can you train yourself? to recognise that this is just sleep paralysis it'll pass in a few minutes can you talk sense to yourself when you wake up in that situation Yes, you can. As I say, it's recognising that it is it is a common phenomenon that many people do it. It is just a glitch. Uh, it is not a presage of anything, and that your dreams are not you, you, you know that reality is reality, uh, and your dreams are something self generated. So yes, if you realise what is happening, then you can rationalise it. Uh, if you don't realise that you know it's it's not you know that you haven't been abducted by aliens or whatever, then 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 that's fine I, I, and actually sleep paralysis is probably the cause of a lot of people feeling they've been abducted by aliens in in terms of the quality of our sleep Neil and look I've, I've just come out the back now of maybe a week a week and a half where I was troubled by insomnia and thankfully I'm sleeping very well again it only happens to me maybe once every couple of months but people who have chronic insomnia I can't imagine how exhausted they must con- they must constantly be yeah, I mean, insomnia is a real, you know, it's a real problem. Uh, and as you say, feeling feeling sleepy and not sleeping is, is you know, not a, a good thing to feel. And, and 
you know, let's be honest, um, you know, a few hundred years ago, sleep was uh, sleep deprivation was used as torture and, and was thought to be uh, probably the one that you couldn't stand. You could stand pain, but you couldn't stand sleep deprivation, according to uh, Bishop Berkeley, who wrote a book about torture. For some reason, bishops wrote about torture in those days. Um, I don't know why. Um, so, but, you know, it, it, it is a real problem. And, and, you know, it is something that for a lot of us, we can fix. Uh, we have agency. We can do those good things for a good night's sleep uh, and and unfortunately uh, in this day and age many of us just don't do them we don't wind down we take our screens to bed uh, yeah. things like that so there's a lot of common sense things you can do um, you know, before you think I've got a real problem. But of course, we all go through periods of time when we do have uh, poor sleep. It's when it goes on and on week after yeah. week after yeah. week, that's when you should start worrying about it and, you know, go and see your GP uh, and, and talk to them about, uh, you know, what may be causing your poor sleep. From, to- from total personal experience, I recognize the times when it's most likely to happen and I kind of guess it's down to circadian ribbons, ryth- rhythms. rather. It's, it's when the seasons are changing and the light is changing. That's when I'll have a week or a week and a half of disturbed sleep. Yeah, and, and we've all, you know, we've recently had the clock change. I mean, yeah. for some that people really that people, can yeah. cause... Yeah, that can affect some people for up to two weeks. Others, people just breeze through it like there's nothing's happened. But for some people, it can affect them for up to two weeks uh, and they just feel out of sorts. But yes, I mean, you know, last night, uh, you know, it was very, very bright. Uh, you know, there's no clouds where I am and, and, and uh, it was very, very bright. And I did feel that I had... Uh, a, a worse night's sleep because of it, even though, you know, nothing had changed in my life that, to account for this poor night's sleep. But it, I did notice when I got up to pee that it was, you know, the moonlight and that was very, very bright. So we do have these things. We, we know that the full moon affects our sleep. We know that in summer we sleep less than we do in winter or we'd like to. Um, and so, yes, yeah, the season changing, uh, the moon phases, um, and just life, you know, life sometimes gets in the way, you know, stresses and strains of life sometimes. Um, but as I say, one or two weeks of poor sleep, yeah, it probably will, you know, naturally resolve. But if you, you know, if you're over a month or so of, you know, pretty much a constant poor sleep, then that's time to start yeah. thinking about doing something about it. Do you recommend napping, Neil, or is it purely a personal thing? I find that sometimes an afternoon nap of maybe 30 minutes works like a charm for me, but it's not everybody's cup of tea. No, I mean, I, I can't nap. It's not that I don't want to. It's just I, I, I'm, I'm, I frankly could not sleep for 30 minutes in the afternoon. My brother is the complete opposite. Mm. He's one of these people who, can, when he stops, he can fall asleep. So um, napping is is what your body wants. If your body and brain is feeling sleepy, it wants to nap and have some sleep rather than a couple of cups of coffee, a walk round and a cigarette. Um, and so, you know, when your mobile phone is down in the red on the battery and you plug it in and it leaps much higher than you expect it to after just a few minutes. Well, that's what a nap does. It boosts your performance, your mental and physical performance for up to four hours. So a 30 minute nap is absolutely fine. 
Sleeping longer than that, you may run the risk of waking up in your deep sleep. And as I mentioned earlier about waking people up in uh, when they're sleepwalking, that's not good. You're going to feel grotty if you do wake up in your deep sleep. And having a two-hour siesta like they do in the Mediterranean, well, that just means you're going to need uh, less sleep at night. And, of course, in Spain, you can't get a decent meal till after 9 o'clock. <laughs> uh, whereas, you know, up north uh, in, in, in the wet bits, of the Europe, uh, you know, we're all in bed uh, <laughs> and f- yeah. fed by that sort of time, sort of thing. So it's about what works for you. So if you do have a siesta, then expect to sleep less at night. If you have a 30 minute nap, that's not going to affect your sleep need at night. And as I say, is a great boost. So, yeah, I am absolutely a, a great advocate of, of, of napping. It is very much, lastly, Neil, it, it is very much the individual, isn't it? Like, we used to think, oh, you need X number of hours per night, and if you don't get it, then you're sleep-deprived. But it, it is kind of to each their own, isn't it? Oh, absolutely, and and you know, sleep need is is individual uh, the, the, because of genetics, and so very simply, the amount of sleep you need is however many hours it allows you to feel awake, alert, and focused during the day. So there's no magic number of hours. Some people need five hours. Some people need eleven hours to feel at the best. Personally, after forty-one years as a sleep expert, I know I need nine and a half hours to feel at my best. Now you might say, well, that's an awful lot. But that's what I need. And so in order to feel good, I have to get it. So yeah. say chasing the eight hours is a, is a pointless exercise. Yeah. It's, well, it's funny that you should say that. I've been getting up at stupid o'clock for the last 30 years of my life, quarter to six <laughs> most mornings, 10 to six maybe. And I've discovered that six hours is what I need. I will be okay with five, but seven or eight is too many on a work night. I end up, I wake yeah. up grotty. Yeah. So it's, as I say, it's, it's about, you know, you, you, it's horses for courses. Yeah. You know, this suits you as an individual. There's plenty of people who would find getting up a quarter to six every morning to be, you know, they, they suddenly want to change their job and go on the graveyard shift. <laughs> it's not for them. Um, so it is definitely horses for courses. Yeah. And on that one, to, a lot of people, well, the last time we discussed sleep, people were saying that in the brighter mornings of summer, those who have to get up early find it easier to get up early. Is there a psychological or a physical reason for that? It's a physiological reason. Sunlight tells your body that it's time to be awake. Uh, and only four minutes of exposure to sunlight has told the body, right, this is it, you, you know, get raring to go, we're, we're off, this is the day. So exposure to uh, morning light is good. And, of course, um, you know, there's nothing better than getting up early on a on a bright, warm summer's morning anyway. Yeah. It just makes you feel good. And, and um, whereas in the winter, you just feel miserable. There's a thing. So that is, so there really is a science to it that if you wake up, on a particularly a late spring or summer's morning, and you do feel that little bit grotty, bring your coffee out the back door and stand there and drink it, listening to the birds. The sun actually helps you to to come round. Absolutely, the sun controls how you feel. Wow! So let's say just four minutes. So yeah, get outside um, and get into the sun, uh, and they say you'll that will set you up for the day uh, and make you feel good. That's amazing. Listen, thank you very much, Doctor Neil Stanley, sleep expert on all 
aspects of our sleep. We have to sleep for a third of our lives, or roughly a third of our lives. And every night that you get a good night's sleep, you know the benefit of it in the morning. But I'm coming into that time of the year now where I'd be quite happy getting up at five o'clock, let alone quarter to six, because it's going to be nice and bright. And that's why there is an actual reason for it. Thank you, Dr. Neil Stanley. Sleep paralysis, that's the best explanation I've ever heard. Sleep paralysis, where your mind has woken, your mind has left the dream, but your body doesn't realise it yet. So if you wake up kind of sleep paralysed, relax. It'll all be fine. That's a good one, though. Your body, I've never understood until today what he meant. The dream has ended, but your body doesn't realise it yet. That's, that's, that's a really cool explanation. 0818 96 96 96. I just mentioned cutting my grass, and I do want to cut the grass out my back uh, this week, because if I don't do it soon, I'm going to need a hay baler to get the stuff out of it. PJ, I once knew a gardener who used to say, you can't cut the grass when it's wet, but it won't dry unless you cut it. And thank you for that. That's, that's, that's wise. And Thomas. Ah, Thomas. Ah, Thomas. Thomas, 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 Thomas. PJ, you're giving out there about what to do with the grass. I am. Go away and get a cheap... Are you serious? Go away, says Thomas, and get a cheap bottle of whiskey. There's no such thing, but... Go away and get a cheap bottle of whiskey and put it into a watering can. And just at nightfall, just as it's getting dark, go around with the cheap whiskey and pour it on the grass. And then in the morning, it'll be half cut. You're barred. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Cork's 96 FM. Question 10. In what comedy series did Mr. Miyagi actor Pat Marisa own a diner? Oh, jeez. Oh. Um, uh, happy days. Was it a total guess? A total guess. Yeah. Sometimes out of thin air you get something, don't you? Listen, we've got a career out of it, so... <laughs> <laughs> Tom, you've just won 2,000 euro, buddy. Thank you, chaps. It's been great. Good luck. Well done. Have a good one. one, one. Stacking up the cash. Cash! Cash! The two grand minute. Listen to play at 7.40 and 8.40 every day on Casey and Ross in the morning. Bye. 96 FM. Our own Darren Johnson here at Cork's 96 FM. Sleep paralysis. You, it bothered you for a while, Darren. That explanation from our expert, uh, Dr. Stanley, that you, your the, 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 the dream has ended, but your body doesn't realise it yet. Does, does that explain for you what goes on? Good morning. Oh. 100% PJ, 100%. It was great listening to Neil there because, you know, as an expert in his field, it was fantastic to get all that information. Um, but like that now, I've, I've been experiencing sleep paralysis since 2016. Since 2016, I think, was the first time I experienced it. Um, and there, like that, I woke up one night, couldn't move, just was overcome with this intense feeling of fear. Um, and uh, shortly after that, I, like one thing actually that I, I, I kind of regret that Neil didn't touch on was the the aspect of nightmares becoming kind of semi reality. That was the scariest thing about it. Was right. if I was having a nightmare, 
um, I'd wake up, I'd be paralyzed, and suddenly that nightmare starts happening around you. You know, I've, I've, like it's, he mentioned abducted by aliens a few times, and I got to tell you, PJ, as it's, I have to look back at it and laugh now. But the first time I had a hallucination after sleep paralysis, I was convinced that I had been abducted by aliens. <laughs> you know, there's, there's no. You sorts- just woke up at the Christmas party, Darren. Yeah. <laughs> no, do, do you know what it was, honestly? You know, PJ, I was having a nightmare yeah. that an ambulance was at the house. I was having a nightmare that there was an ambulance at the house. And I woke up and I had that overwhelming sense of, oh, God, why is there an ambulance at the house? I hadn't woken up properly yet. And I started to, I, I was able to look around the room, but I wasn't able to move. I saw these blue lights flashing outside the window. And then all of a sudden I thought, they're moving a bit too slow to be an ambulance. And then that's when the aliens appeared, you know? <laughs> So, right. And and yeah, have you so, noticed how long it lasts, Darren? Um, it could last anything from a couple of seconds to a few minutes. Sometimes I felt like it's going on for hours. Really? Um, or does so, it just yeah, feel that way? It definitely just feels that way. Yeah, 100%. That's, um, what, that's but, what Neil was saying, like that, you're, that you're, the, the dream cycle in your, in your subconscious has ended, mm. but the, the message hasn't yet been transferred to your body where you can let him move again. Absolutely. But I, I I think did you know that that was why it happens, that you're, you I, actually can't move during a dream because your mind has told your body, shut down now in case he clocks the poor idiot he's sleeping with? You know, again, that's, uh, I, I went to my GP about it because I, I was worried about it. I, I, kind of, I knew that something was going on, um, so I wanted a, an explanation about it and went to the GP. She said, oh yeah, sleep paralysis. Are you sleeping, are you sleeping properly? And I said, no, I'm in, into bed at three in the morning, up again at eight. And she went, yeah, that's your issue. You need more sleep, you know? So, and she was right. that it, it, it comes on me when I'm very, very tired or when I'm sleep deprived. And actually something that one of the guys mentioned to me was it always hits him when the clocks go forward and we lose an hour of sleep. And when he mentioned it, I said, you know, God, I actually got a mild dose of it last week after the clocks changed and I didn't realize it. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, last week now I woke up, I, I couldn't move and I thought, okay, I can't move sleep paralysis, relax, calm down, everything's going to be fine. And a couple of minutes later, it passed and I turned over and went back to sleep. You Give know? it a second, but yeah. yeah. I, I suppose uh, one thing that really helped me, and it might not help everyone who's, who experiences sleep paralysis, but um, something that I was told ages ago was um, during REM sleep, yeah, as, as, as um, Neil mentioned a minute ago, it, your, your muscles do shut down, but the one muscle that doesn't shut down while you're asleep is your tongue. Um, because if it did, you'd swallow your tongue very quickly while you were asleep. Um, so someone told me to try to push your tongue out so you can lick your lips, and the sensation of licking your lips will wake your, the rest of your body up. Um, now, that, that does work for me. It doesn't work for everybody. Yeah. So, you know, I suppose if there's any listeners this morning who experience sleep paralysis and are looking for a quick fix to it, yeah. that works for me. It might work it. for you. I have to say, I, I can't remember ever having experienced sleep paralysis, but I have, as we discussed within there, woken up in a dream that was frightening or a dream where there was... I've woken up in a dream where there was a lot of exertion going on and I felt out of breath. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, shortly after I started having the sleep paralysis um, episodes, PJ, like I was waking up with, with savage palpitations, completely out of breath, sweating, and um, after going to the doctor, she said, you know, maybe you should go to the Mercy and get a sleep test done. And as it transpires, I, had, I have sleep apnea. Um, so I was, I was having these nightmares where there was something sitting on my chest stopping me from breathing, when in actual fact, I wasn't breathing because I had sleep apnea. Yeah. But this was my mind telling me there's something wrong here. 
you know, um, and and making up this, you know, there was a, a, a very large dog sitting on my chest most nights. Right, right. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's um, it's a bizarre one. But since since I was diagnosed with sleep apnea and undergoing the treatment for it, that sleep paralysis has just fallen. It's it's completely, it's almost gone. We did a lot know? on sleep apnea in the last year or two. How does it affect you, Darren? Because I know it's very, it's more common than we think. Like. I'll, I'll be honest with you, PJ. The, the big red flag for me, I used to work on the street please, here in the station, as you well know. Yeah. Um, there was a day where we were driving to, I think we were driving to Bantry, and uh, halfway through the drive, I just got this overwhelming urge to nod off. I was nodding off on the, on the dual carriageway, and I indicated in and thought, okay, I, I have to take a nap here now. I was falling asleep in the middle of the day. Um, so, I, again, shortly after that, was diagnosed, got the CPAP, um, and it's great. Um, thankfully, my wife is a Star Wars fan, so you know, doesn't bother her that much. <laughs> yeah, not the most comfortable thing ever, but I suppose you get used to it, do you? You know, it's 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 brilliant on cold mornings because you can throw the covers over your head and breathe normally, which is just the the best thing in the world. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Go on. Darren, thank you very much. Darren Johnson, uh, 96M, production department, and of course he's here with Demi on a Saturday afternoon. He pulled a right nasty April Fool on her at the weekend. He told her that he was leaving the show and leaving her in the hands of Simon Murdoch, and the poor woman was terrified. So she... <laughs> Thanks, Darren. On motorists and McCourtney Street, and this idea that's out there that, you know, they are becoming more and more hostile to the humble motorist, Andrew added to it earlier on with his theory about why it's so hard to get a test now and so hard to get a uh, learner's permit and a theory test and all these things. And he's saying it tie it in with the changes in traffic layout and big, super big, big footpaths and, and all of that. And he said they just don't want the motorist to feel happy in their car anymore. Whoever they are, I don't know who they are, but that's the thing. Paul says McCartan Street PJ will be a nightmare because you're going to have truck drivers doing deliveries, you'll have buses and taxis and even those dopes who don't care about anybody stopping on the street. As a taxi driver who regularly picks up from two hotels where I might have to wait for a passenger with luggage uh, outside, not a hundred yards down the road, it'll be great fun to have buses stopping for 15 minutes at a time. There was... Up to recently, there was a regular bus stopping right in the middle of McCurtain Street for 10 minutes at a time. I don't know if that's still happening, but it was ridiculous. Utterly and totally ridiculous. But I walked down, yeah, Saturday afternoon, I haven't done it in a long time, walked down McCurtain Street, and, and that new pavement is going to be lovely, and the planters and everything, it's going to be really nice and really European, and when the sun shines, you know yourself, it'll be lovely. But it's going to be a nightmare to drive in it. And and the one big problem you'll have is the slightest tip, the very slightest little tip, down there by Brian Baru or down by the Coliseum or anywhere law, and you are going to be in all sorts of trouble with the new McCurtain Street. 0818 96 96 96. Cork's youngest nana and granddad. The search continues. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Cork's 96 FM. Simon Murdoch and the best music mix. Weekdays from midday on Cork's 96FM. Flying you through the afternoon in Cork with loads of new tunes, plenty of throwbacks and brilliant giveaways too. Straight after the opinion line here on Cork's 96FM. 
the big one is back. Thunderland. Thunderland is back in Cork. Bigger, brighter and better than ever. With a license to thrill. March 30th till April 23rd at Creamfields Tremor Road. Free supervised parking. Go get yourself some fun at Thunderland. It's time to experience the thrill of discovery at Kildare Village. Discover extraordinary designers at extraordinary prices. Discover new arrivals in more than 100 beautifully curated boutiques. Discover new talent, new flavours and new experiences. Discover effortless shopping with free parking, e-charging and a playground for your small adventurers. Discover Kildare Village, where the possibilities are endless. At AXA, we know running a home can run up your cost too. That's why you can save up to 30% on our home insurance. Get a quote today. Together, we've got this. AXA. Know you can. Policy terms and conditions apply. Minimum premium is €160. A 30% discount is available after three consecutive years claims free. 15% after two consecutive years and 10% after one year claims free. Axe Insurance Stock is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. Join the conversation. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Coach 96 FM. Actually, staying with matters environmental, did you see that thing in the paper yesterday where Eamon Ryan has announced that the VAT on solar panels, supplying information and installation of solar panels, is to be cut to zero? And it'll save a thousand euro on the average installation, which is fine. That's that's if if it's what you plan to do, it's what you plan to do. And they cut the vat. That's grand. That's everyone. Funny, isn't it though that um, they can't can't in a big, big, big inverted commas can't touch the vat on the whopping great gas bills that are landing, and they can't touch the vat on the enormous electricity bills that are still coming in. You know. Admittedly, it's only 9% now as opposed to 13 But other countries have said, oh, crikey, 4%. And just done it. And just imposed it. But we can't do that. We can't. No, we can't. Oh, God, no, we couldn't possibly do that. Not possible to do that. Not possible to do that. But because they're pushing the solar agenda, gone. Like a shot. That down to zero. Eh, anyone else thinking like that? Trish, good morning. Morning, Peter. Uh, how are you? Eighteen grandchildren. Yeah. When, when did you have the first one? When did you? When did the first one come? Uh, twenty-five years ago. What age were you? I was thirty-five. Thirty-five. A nana at thirty-five. Yeah. <laughs> when the conversation came, ma'am, I've something to tell you. Oh, sweet Jesus, that. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, uh, we sure look. They're all brilliant. Thank God. Oh, they're great. Yeah, they're great. <laughs> and four great-grandchildren, then. What's that? Four great-grandchildren. Four great-grandchildren, my goodness me. Yeah. And you're only, you're only a spring chicken yourself, like. You're only yeah, 60. 60. 60th in January. 60th in January. Yeah, for sure, when we have them, you'll, you'll enjoy them, then. You're going to have fun with them. Na- yeah, yes, you're young enough. Yeah, a nana, a nana, yeah. At, a nana at 35, 18. Cra- mm-hmm. Like, it must make for a very busy house on Christmas Day, for example. Well, they all don't come together, because I wouldn't be able to cope with them all. <laughs> They're not all different families come at different times. Right, right. So, 
which is grand, break it up like. So the oldest but no, for get together, there was no one things like that. were brilliant, like. Right. And the oldest one now is twenty five. She's twenty five now. And have she kids um, her own? The youngest, she does. She's three. Nice. And the youngest then is just over a year. Very good, very good. But I, I, I'm still <laughs> laughing when I brought that memory back to you. <laughs> Ma'am, I have something to tell you. Oh, stop it. Ah, but you look. It's like everything else in life. You deal with it. Oh, yeah, definitely. And it's never quite as bad as it looked at the time. No, no, God, no. Brilliant. No, Brilliant. it's a shock. Once the shock is gone, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're a, you're definitely a contender. Nanny at 35. We had a 36, but mm-hmm. we got you down to 35. Although, hold on a minute now. Trish, thank you. Let me go to line two. Annelise, how old, is your, how old was your mom? She was 33. 33? Yeah. <laughs> and how old were you? I was 17 when I had my first that made her a nanny. And how did that conversation go? Um, as far as I can remember, a bit stressful, but it was all right. It was kind of okay. <laughs> <laughs> you four kids yourself now, yeah? I do, I do, yeah. What ages yeah. are they? Uh, so Leila will be 11 now next month, and then I have um, an eight-year-old, I have a two-and-a-half-year-old, and a 15-month-old. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. And, and, and your, your mum now has six grandchildren? Six, yeah, yeah. So my twin sister has a boy, and then my other sister has a boy. There's actually only a week between the two of them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. so there's two other boys then as well. Life back yeah. in her 40s, huh? Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. So we, we go out now and everything together, and so, yeah, we were only in Liverpool a couple of weeks ago and everything, so we're all out together. Yeah, because, I mean, you're, you're, your mum is, what, 44 now? What, what age are you? You're... I'm 28. 28, so yeah. you're kind of like best mates more than that. Oh, yeah, you? yeah. Like, we tell people that we're, that's, that's my mum when we're out. They're, they're like, they do not believe us. Yeah. They don't. Yeah. Your, your mum was young that. having you two, wasn't she? She was. She had twins at the age of 16. Twins at 16? Si- yeah. Oh, I need to find out more here. Twins at 16? <laughs> yeah. Christ. Yeah, I know. <laughs> That's, I mean, like, to talk about it, there's, there's a surprise, and then there's another surprise, because... I know, yeah. Like, I'm not too sure, I, maybe I'm wrong here now, but we're scanned, of course there would have been, yeah. We saw, we, I never, I never, ever, ever forget the scan, where they saw two heads. Yeah, well, uh, my nan, my nan, uh, my, my mom's mom, she always says that she knew that it was twins from day one, for some reason, I don't know, she said something about seeing the scan and that she was able to see um, like the, the other baby even before the, the nurses or anything said anything so she knew it was twins straight away she said crikey yeah yeah, yeah. and yeah. my nan is actually a twin herself I see oh they, they, they do run they do run oh they do they do yeah well I I didn't have twins thank god but my other two sisters could my twin sister could possibly have twins because yeah. she only has the one so she could possibly have twins still so I think we now have Cork's youngest nana was only thirty three, <laughs> and Cork's youngest granddad was only was only thirty eight. Yeah, the the twins thing, the scan of the twins. I tell you, the the morning that the scan, we saw the twins. My wife goes, she goes, oh Jesus, I'm having a two headed child. Oh, <laughs> oh no! And then and and then the doctor said, I know you're all right. There's two of them in there. Oh, and I just God. said, Doctor, can I have a chair? <laughs> I know, yeah. It's just with one and then with two. Oh, I know. 
<laughs> I know. Listen, so the, I think you you definitely if, we're, if if there was a competition in it which there isn't, your mom is definitely Cork's youngest nana at the age of thirty three, and now she's one of your best mates. Oh, she is. Yeah, yeah. That's brilliant. Best friends. Yeah. That's that's absolutely. Yeah. What's her What's her name? Uh, Rachel. Rachel. Rachel Rowe. Yeah. And you're Annalise. Annalise. Yeah. And when you go off to a Liverpool match, no one can no no, no one no, can believe you're not sisters. No, yeah. Fantastic. All right, and and the, and by the way, what's the what are all the the the, the grandchildren called? Um, so there's Leila, Jace, Willow, Alex, Noah, and Lucas. Right, Willow. That's a lovely name. Willow, yeah, yeah. She's here with me now, looking at me. <laughs> that's how old is Willow? Uh, she's two. She'd be three now in June. That's such a cool name. Yeah. And lovely call to finish out the show. Really appreciate that. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Annalise's mom was a granny at 33. I think we, and we have a granddad at 38. Can we do better on the granddads? I doubt it somehow. I doubt it. But we, we have a nana at 33. That's, that's silly. Yeah, Tracy says, McCartan Street is a disaster, PJ. It's one lane now, sure. Um, yeah, I, I just dread, I don't know, I look, you have to be positive about change because it's happening and it's inevitable. And they tell us the people in the VQ, the Victorian Quarter, tell us it'll all be wonderful, it'll be brilliant, it'll be marvellous, it'll be fantastic, it'll be lovely facility. And I'm thinking, yeah, it will be all of those things until you have a tiny little clip between a flipping Ford Fiesta and a van just on the corner there by Brian Burrow Street or at the Coliseum. All it'll take is one little tip on a cold, wet December morning and traffic will be blocked for hours on end. That is the problem that is facing it. Yeah, I think that's pretty much it. It is. We're back in the morning just after nine. Good luck. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Live. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Cork!